Are you ready to meet the moment? Ozzy and our friends at Chevrolet are proud to present Real Talk, Real Change to help foster racial equality in America. And we're inviting you to help. Join me, Carlos Watson, as I talk with key leaders from across the country about racial disparities in America's healthcare system. Look for The Carlos Watson Show and Real Talk, Real Change on YouTube and subscribe. Or download The Carlos Watson Show wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Benno. Oh, sorry, Benno. I was uh, staying alert. Hi, <laughs> Joe. Looking around the room, making sure every- all was good. I'm Joe. There you go. And I'm staying alert. <laughs> and I'm JP. Do you want to finish off the rest of the catchphrase, JP? Or is that I just did, the rest mate. Of no, I mean, like, it's stay alert. And what's the end one? Oh, um... Save lives or something. Control the virus. If you're relying on me to control a virus, you're dead. The virus is one. <laughs> uh, well, to help us do so, uh, on the line, we've got the boss. It's uh, Grapple Gareth. Hi, Gareth. The boss. Hello. You right? <laughs> yeah, Hello, good mate. How are you? Yeah, not so bad. Staying alert over there in Grapple Towers? Yeah, yeah. Very, uh, very on guard. Looking left and right, you know, just in case. <laughs> Everyone have a good VE day. Everyone feeling good? <laughs> Are we continuing from there, are we? I think we are. To be, I think that's the yeah. point where we have to pick up. Like, I, I, I've kind of got a toss-up because people who follow me on Twitter are fully aware that like uh, you might have uh, put some interesting grapple ratings on uh, over the last uh, few hours or so. So we've got that to come. But I, I don't know. I feel like VE Day is picking up where we left off last time. Well, I, I apologise for just how angry I was last week. <laughs> I was unhinged last week. I don't know what the fuck was wrong with me. Um, but, yeah, VE Day... Uh, day to celebrate there was a point in the evening where i was at home and i turned the tv on and i saw, I saw shane ritchie and honey from eastenders uh doing a rendition with a live orchestra of knees up mother brown so what a time to be alive what a time to celebrate and following that performance uh Will- wills and kate came on the tv to get everyone ready for the nine o'clock sing-along to uh we'll meet again so yeah what a patriotic day that was uh, in the Lemon household. Great time as that by all. Tea and scones, you know. Bit of clotted cream on them as well. Yeah, proper patriot, me. Cheeky conga line? <laughs> uh, we didn't go for the conga line, mate. Um, unfortunately, the patriotism starter kit that I purchased was the sort of lowest grade patriotism starter kit. I could have gone for the upgrade, but it was a few extra quid, you know. And at this point in time, trying to save the pennies at the moment, you know. So I thought, I won't go for the second option. I'll just go for the basic patriotism starter kit, which just involves tea and scones at four o'clock and waving a Union Jack flag. 
And putting Rule Britannia on like I'm in a British Bulldog match. <laughs> Amazing. Do you have any of that going on in your street, JP? Your street seems a bit more working class, I'd say. It is. Um, no, that day, uh, to celebrate VE Day, I played football manager. Oh, uh, you're back on it? I gave it a go for that day because I kind of wanted to avoid everything and I could lose myself. Uh, Champions League, five points, four leagues in a row, 103 game league unbeaten streak. It's fucking stupid. McCarthy, though, this is the problem. I only want the Ireland job. I got offered the Leicester job. I didn't even turn up at the interview because I was like, are you, are you the Ireland job? No, then I'm not going to turn up. McCarthy's done brilliantly. Took him to the quarters of the Euros. I could do better, but the fucker's still there. 69 at this point. I'm like, come on, mate. Step it up. <laughs> it's between me and the under-21 manager. It's the only reason I'm playing the game. Beat Shakhtar Donetsk, drawn with Bayern and Atletico Madrid. Made like 50 million for the club. Got two Champions League places for Irish clubs. I have done more to revitalise Irish football than I think anyone else. Obviously, it's all fictional. But so on VE Day, you spent your day having an Irish day, basically. I did. Yeah. Was that like Bear a wolf tones playing rebellion. in the background? It was great. Was that a conscious rebellion you were you were putting in place there? It was more of an avoidance strategy. I right. I did my walk early doors because I I thought I don't want to see any of these fuckers. And admittedly, my kind of part of the world, like you say, Benno, bit working class. That V. Mm. I didn't see any bunting around me. Near Joe on the other hand, it, you feel like it's more likely to happen. <laughs> not in, not where I directly live, uh, but we went for a walk around the area that I live, and we were out at like peak street party time, and there were a good few people out on them streets, like neighbours uh, having a great old time and uh, having barbecues in their front gardens and stuff, and we quickly got back home to try and avoid it. And unfortunately, I did turn the TV off to find... Alfie Moon singing at one point, but that that was it. That was all I saw of it. Managed to avoid it, and yeah. Uh, how about in Liverpool? Sure, it was going well up there. I was, yeah. was going to ask, like Gareth lives in the uh, the posher part than me. But I feel like <laughs> Crosby's a little bit more Tory. It's it's not full Tory, but there's there's a few about Gareth. I'm wondering around at Grapple Towers. What was uh what was the scene for V? There, I can imagine there being lots of uh, celebrations ongoing. Oh yeah, my road's very much bunting central when it comes to uh, you know when it comes to uh, these type of things. So uh, I did my usual, and well, the uh, well the old fuckers down the road were all out in their front gardens, you know, having a little drink and talking to themselves. I did my usual and hid away in my own back garden, and you know. I'm just the tattooed bloke at the end of the road who uh, doesn't <laughs> smile at anybody, doesn't come and like speak to anybody or anything like that. So I, I thought, yes, let's just just play it, play it the same as normal. You know, why why change? Even if I, uh, you know, I wasn't going to pick up like a, a Union Jack immunity hat or something like that and go and like go and have a bath in somebody else's house or something <laughs> stupid like that. So uh, yeah, no, hidden hidden well away. But uh, what about yourself, Benno? Yeah, my, my as you know, my road's like terraced housing, so. People haven't even got front gardens, but people were literally sitting out in the street in deck chairs, mainly the older people in the road. I don't know what you think of me, because they'll come out on a, is it Thursday, 8 o'clock, and do the clap? Or is it Wednesday? I don't even know when it Thursday. is. Thursday. Thursday. I never join in, to be honest. But technically, the clap are me. I'm a key worker, so, you know, I'll, I'll just... Uh... The other day, in fact, actually, last Thursday, when it went off, I thought it was raining outside, and it took me a couple of minutes to work out what the actual sound was. That must be a That's loud a... clap, if you can hear oh. it. It goes on in my clothes, and I've been out a few times... And, like, me and my girlfriend go out because, um, you know, 
great job is being done by a lot of people, but I'm sort Thanks, of mate, thinking at the same time, no problem. Uh, <laughs> very much this is a distraction as well, and this is a tactic and a ploy, but also it is a gesture. So I do it in a sort of reluctant way because I feel like I have to do it. But I do like to look around and observe the close. And what I've noticed is numbers are dwindling week after week at this point. Yeah, it's like my um, sociological hour, that minute, if that makes sense. I like to think of myself as a bit aloof while I'm out there, like I'm a critic of the situation, let's just say. <laughs> yeah, it was one of them, though. Like the, just, I feel like the Tories have just been purposely vague like thursday friday when the papers were all doing like front page news like lockdowns ending soon you could just feel it coming and like but the weekend was just like round here especially there were so many people out and about there's a house party at the end of my street like i try not to be that person because like i had my brother turned up and did like a social distance visit from mine you're not supposed to do that i think based on the rules right now although the both of us have allegedly had the disease already so i don't know where we stand but you know i've, I've probably broken some rules gone and collected some takeaway when i shouldn't maybe uh so i'm on first name t- terms with my favorite uber eats eater at this point so like i'm maybe doing a, a bit too much of that so i'm not perfect but there are people my, like honest to god i on twitter on friday and you you know, JP and Gareth, you were seeing it as well. Like some of those videos, I don't know if you saw any of it, Joe. Like the, like JP said, the conga line, and like just the, the, the sweets. Oh, horrible! Like the they, most, they were flying yeah, around that's... WhatsApp groups. I mean, and we were, oh, yeah, yeah. So oh, bad. they'll meet again <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when they're sharing a ventilator. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. We, I was thought Wimbledon was all right. I don't know what was going on there. Mate of mine lived in Wimbledon, always seemed fine, but clearly there's a lot of fucking idiots who live there as well. And, yeah, those patriotism starter kits, they got the advanced level, clearly, where they got to do a conga in the evening. So well done to them. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Like, Warrington was the other one as well, which I wouldn't have expected. I don't know, Gareth, would you have had Warrington as a middle-class, you know, British patriot place. I'm not so sure, but, yeah, just absolutely idiotic, really. And, uh, yeah, I would say, like, uh, Boris hasn't uh, made things any better these last 24 hours. Yeah, but it makes sense. You know, stay at home unless you have to go to work. And if you can work from home, work from home. Unless you can't work from home, then you've got to go. But you've got to walk there or cycle there. You certainly can't get public transport. You don't want to drive. You can see people, but you can't see your family. You can see two of them from a social distance. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what is it you're not getting, mate? That makes complete <laughs> fucking sense to me. Should put you on the news, you know, JP? Because even though mm. you're like you're doing a bit, that still made more sense than, than what Boris said. Like I was right. I'm not, I'm not like I don't get as angry about it as you, Joe. But like yesterday, like I watched the thing. At, was it seven o'clock? It was on. Yeah. At like ten o'clock, I was still sat there staring at my TV with nothing on scrolling twitter writing angry tweets and just generally like yeah you know whatsapp group stuff flying around they just generally sat there fuming for about three hours like what what a fucking mess we're in do you know the problem i had with that speech well address to the nation like it very much felt like he was conscious of it being his like a churchill moment if anything coming after a ve day and the whole way it was kind of built to it was almost like um he turned up at pmqs on wednesday and it was like he turned up for the go home roar or the go home nitro <laughs> to kind of shoot his last big angle with the leader of the opposition before he was going to the pay-per-view on the sunday and he knew what he was going to say on that wednesday basically but waited until Sunday. And then the whole thing today about Wednesday, that wasn't said last night. I thought that people were meant to be back in work today. 
Like there was no kind of uh, transparency around mm. a lot of it. And that was a major issue. But it was just the kind of anticipation, the build to it. It was like, I'm going to say I'm going to make this speech on a Sunday, so I'm going to get the tabloids of a fucking wild time, wind people up thinking they're going to have this big party. They're going to have a, a pre-party on the Friday, getting ready for the end of lockdown, where they're going to start breaking the rules. It's only a couple of days till it's over anyway. And then the idiots that go to Facebook as a news source, which is mostly people above the age of 35, let's be honest, Year at this point in time, so everyone here other than me, sorry, <laughs> ageist. Cheers, mate. Come on. No, I'm joking. But fucking mums online on Facebook. Seriously, oh, it's dangerous. It is. It is really mm. dangerous. Like my girlfriend's a primary school teacher, and she works with a lot of people, sort of forties up, who are flying all these messages around about how they're all going to be back in work on Monday because they've seen it on Facebook. And it's like, what have you seen that's verified on Facebook that is concrete evidence of this happening? Honestly. To quote uh, Devs, which is an excellent TV show that I've been watching recently, Facebook killed democracy. Can't argue. Yeah, I've silenced yeah, everyone. Fucking hell. No, my mum and dad are the same. Like my, I like my mum's like sharing me like nonsense information. My dad's mm. just sending me memes about uh, which will be a sore spot for Gareth about uh, Liverpool not winning the league. Being like, basically every meme he sends me is is about you lot uh, not. The, by the cancel in the league or you know being the one good side effect of, he's the most bitter blue guy on me dad I thought, I, thought, I thought you didn't care what the red shades say <laughs> apparently we don't but it turns out we really do to be honest Gareth I was on Twitter at the weekend arguing hard with like Evertonians about the, the merits of Phil Neville so I can hardly talk <laughs> yeah, I forget it, uh, all kinds of stuff like that from my parents it's it's a I don't even think it's just Facebook it's it's WhatsApp it's it's social media the internet in general it's just not made for uh, for those generations of which myself JP and you Gareth are not included. Yeah. I like saying I'm not included. Facebook for news. Fuck off. It remembers birthdays and is a messenger that we all communicate via it. That's mm. pretty much the extent of it at this point. It's quite it's quite refreshing when you cut Facebook out of your life. I've not gone through that news feed in years. I don't go to the main... I just use the messenger. That's literally all I use. It quite often feels like you're staring into the abyss about some of the new stuff that's shared. Um, I think I had a look the hmm. day, a day or two before the election last year to get a kind of gauge on, like, sort of public opinion and got very depressed very quickly. And I don't think I've scrolled through my news feed since... I just like to go on there just to, like, actively hate people. That's like my... Uh, <laughs> JP does a lot of that as well. That's, it. That's the only reason it exists in my life anymore is just like, oh, I feel like just, like, looking at some idiots out there, just uh, go on Facebook for half an hour and just feel better about myself and then, uh, yeah, turn it off for another week or so. What idiots resharing populist bollocks generated by Russian bots a lot of the time. Yeah, or, 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 or even just uh, general opinions in the, uh, in the majority of occasions as well. So, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's all it is for me. Although I have been suckered into sharing my top 10 most influential albums of my lifetime this week or something like that. That's how bored I'm getting stuck at home that I'm actually engaging oh. this week and something like that. What was number one? Uh, I, I just had to go back to like the... Uh, I thought I had to do it in order. I went right back to Def Leppard hysteria. I remember it. <laughs> I, I, I remember at primary school hearing that on a school trip on a tape on the uh, on the coach, and I was like, "Yes, I'll have a bit of this in my life." This was a ten-year-old me, and that was a that turned me onto metal for life. The one-armed <laughs> drummer, they were from Sheffield. Yeah, yeah is that absolutely. right? 
Oh yeah, yeah. They are the most unsheffield band you could imagine, though. Like I was always, I was, I remember thinking they were. Like, I remember the video to, um, is it Photograph? And thinking like, ah, oh, like L.A. Sunset Strip, Sheffield. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> that, that's, yeah, I haven't engaged with it, too many of those things at the moment. Uh, I, 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 won't nom- I won't nominate you then. No, do me. I'd be interested in doing because I, I was doing like a dig round in the house because it's it, it's the house I kind of lived in my teenage end of my teenage years in. So I've got so many CDs like uh, just hidden away here, and I was pulling out like my my old collection, all my old basically it's all mid nineties rap to be honest. Uh, with the odd like thing that stands out, like I've got a couple of like Lincoln Park CDs, a couple of Deftones, and I discovered I apparently oh. own one of one of Trapped's albums. You know, Trapped T R A P T. That shite no. band that, um, you know them, don't you, JP? What was, oh, what was, what was that song called? Like Why would you say I would know them? Oh, I thought, I thought you were, because uh, they've got, like, one of their songs apparently is used a lot for like wrestling movie, like videos. Uh, oh, the, te- the, the band that you'll have seen them because of the band, I think it's their drummer. He's like a, he's like a proper, like hardcore trumper and he's been arguing with Ice T a lot and just getting shut down by Ice T because of course he did. Ice T is like one of the coolest men on earth. Uh, but yeah, so I realized I'd seen them like on, K1 in the crazy house about 10 years ago maybe more and they were just playing a random club night I think they were giving CDs away managed to work that out because otherwise I was very black spy on that there's a lot of like, dodgy rap in my collection but like that type of thing is not the usual type of thing that would have slipped in with uh, with my uh, early 2000s late 90s collection is this so- down as a Deftones fan Benno I always liked them. Yeah, I think it's being a wrestling fan as well, though. They were another one that were used in a lot of, like, highlight videos and stuff. I remember playing E-Feds in, like, 2001, 2002, and a lot of that. I think I had, I can't remember which Deftones song I had as a, as a, as my one, but I definitely used the Deftones song once, and a lot of other people did. I think that's, everything comes back to wrestling, I think, unfortunately, with my uh, formative years. Around the Fur and White Pony were great albums. Mm. Don't know if it was those two you had, but they were, they were two of my favourite albums. To give yeah, you an up- sorry, to give you an update on Trapped, um, was the song called Headstrong? Is that That's the one? the one. That's the right. One. Also, looking at their Twitter feed, slightly, their last tweet says, Obama ordered outgoing admin to deny Trump info and operation against him needed Flynn out, who as Trump national security advisor would have found Steele dossier fake. FBI, CIA, Obama knew it. Senators Burr and Warner leaked Carter Page Pfizer app to media through James Wolfe. Hashtag treason, hashtag Obamagate. I don't know what the fuck he's on about, really. Um, Is that trapped or TJP? No, that's trapped. (laughs) T-R-A-P-T. Before that, the last one before that, let's grab a couple of kegs, maybe a couple of dozen, and hit up a beach. Which ones are open? Let's go. So, um... Rotten band. Yeah, Might be a funeral oh. involving them pretty soon. You never oh, know oh, with that kind of attitude. Might be Ice-T putting them away. Uh, but yeah, in digging, I found that. I found an old premium Bonds card. Did you know that was that was still a thing? I put my number in. I hadn't won still. I uh, had that for my entire life. And for you, JP, and I tagged you in it, I found a copy of FIFA 99 from PlayStation 1 and Championship Manager 4. I thought as soon as I thought, you know what? If there's a way to do it, me and you need to have a go Championship Manager 4. I've had, I reckon I've got a, a decent team on my save if it's, uh, if it's still there uh, somehow on one of my old PCs. What year is that? Champman 4? Oh, I think that's like 98, 99, something like that. I'd have to Ooh. double check. And Adam, you, you must be a Champman player, Gareth, like being Mr. Uh, Mr. Stats and Mr. Grapple. Oh, Surely yeah. you know. 
the hours of my life that I've spent on that game. Like, I don't even like, I don't even want to think about it. Like when, when I just think about doing like 36 hour stints at university and things like that, mm. it was just like, you know, like just, just, I don't know, God, if you added it all up and you just think like, Oh God, if you could just go back and have that time again, what better things could I would do? But equally, I wouldn't have had a Hibernian team with Diego Maradona and Claudio Canigia in it, would I? So, you know what I mean? <laughs> Swing some roundabouts. <laughs> What well, age was Maradona? ended up in Scotland anyway, didn't he? That was almost like you were predicting the future there, Gareth. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, well. He might have been there by then. I think that was like '96. I think I had that team. That was a uh, that was a, a belt of a team. I think Canadian maybe went to Dundee like the the year later or the year after that. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, he ended up at Rangers, I... didn't he, for a yeah, bit? Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's a shame about Maradona not going that way as well. I don't imagine the cocaine with a bit of the quality he was looking for in Scotland possibly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would he, um... don't, don't want him on the smack. <laughs> did, did, did they go AWOL at all? Because I bought Stan Collymore once, scored two goals in his first games, and then fucked off for two weeks. I assume dogging. I don't know. But um, <laughs> did it, did they ever do that to you, Maradona or Canegis? Just piss off. No, no, he was very happy in Edinburgh, Maradona there. Just, I think he got about 30 goals just playing behind Kinija there, just in that, just in that little hole just behind. Lovely stuff. Although when the Calibre player he was up against, you know, I think it was a uh, easy days for him. So who, 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 what can you do? Good. To, bloody hell. He might like the film festival there. You don't know the comedy. The, <laughs> well, may, maybe enjoyed the fringe that year and thought, yeah, I'm sticking around it. This works. Jump on me. the, jump on the train for a cheeky bit of ICW or something like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Said that this week, honestly, to get away from the Tories, if like if the North could just secede to Scotland, mm. I'll happily, I'll happily pretend ICW is good if we can just become part of that and like and just join them and move away from this fucking Tory. That'll leave you two behind. Sorry, Joe and JP, but me and Gareth will be uh, home safe. Ah, uh, uh, mate, you, I've got my passport. Still be would still be conservative. <laughs> so you'd yeah, still be that. fucked in some way. Don't worry. Yeah, that's true. I was going to say, Joe, you're kind of, like you said last week. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're, half your family's going to be Scottish, so you could probably get if such a thing as a Scottish passport started to exist, you could do what uh, what JP's planning and maybe uh, do a runner if they manage to uh, ever get independence. Could happen. Where are you going with this? <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, you know, you'd be very welcome up there. The people up there seem to love you. You know. <laughs> well, well, should we should we move on, Sweet? <laughs> <laughs> Let's. Uh, did they, I was going to say over the weekend they won't get up to anything else. I was going to mention watching UFC. I don't know if any of you lot watched mm. it. Probably not the podcast to break it down, but I did watch it and I actually quite enjoyed it. To be honest, compared to wrestling, the whole moral quandary aside, because fuck me, like the you know having a, having a fighter test positive for coronavirus and still going on with the entire event, uh, especially when the day for who was it who failed? JP. Jackery Souza. That's it, Jacare Souza. And like he lit- literally fist bumped Dana White, didn't he, earlier yeah. that day? Uh Bird, I suppose he had gloves on and he had a mask on, but Dana White didn't, because he's Dana White and he's one of Trump's mates. So you know, you've got to look yeah. gotta look strong if you're Dana White. Like I can't believe it went ahead, but I actually did find it a lot more entertaining than wrestling. I don't know why that was. Maybe it was the amount of people they had in the building, which again isn't the ideal, um, or just generally that it's a real fight compared to, to wrestling. But I don't know, I was a fan of it. Did you stay up, JP? Because I ended up staying up till about six in the morning on Saturday just for, I was a pure boredom, to be honest. I was playing FIFA mm. and I had it on in the background and it ended, ended up just wiping me out all weekend, uh, staying up that late for it. I haven't got that in me anymore. I didn't stay up that late, but I watched the prelims and the mm. first fight in the prelims was great. It was just like a proper fight. And there's a couple of grotesque reasons why it's good. 
You can hear the punches cleaner. It sounds horrible. It sounds absolutely awful. People mm. properly beating the shit out of each other. And you hear the corners. And I think Greg Hardy or something like that said he could hear Daniel Cormier telling, saying that he should check the kicks, which is what yeah. he did. Um, so it's very, very weird. I'll tell you what it felt like. It felt like the early prelims. Which, if you ever watch, like, the first round of, like, normally the ones that might start at 11pm UK time, where there's mm. no crowd in there, and they're just a series of fights. And the way they frame it anyway is, like, obviously they just focus on the, um, on the, on the octagon. And they don't do anything else. And that kind of means that there's less focus on the fans for it. I suppose, yeah, there's a novelty value. I don't know how it'll be when by the time they do their show next week, because there's going to be one of these each week. It's probably going to be like the empty arena stuff, being honest, overall, where within a month I'll be bored, there'll be big mm-hmm. fights I'll want to see, but I'll be dipping in and out. And that's yeah. pretty much where I see it going. But it, it wasn't the worst, and that might be because of the legitimacy and the fact that, yeah. And there was a couple of good fights. Yeah, we all kind of went... We did the same thing with the AEW, though, didn't we? So we should probably be careful. Like, with AEW, I remember thinking, oh, you know what? Century Arena stuff's not so bad. They had some people dotted around the ring, and they gave it a bit of atmosphere. And now, how many weeks later, like, the, the last thing I want to do each week is watch AEW, except for when maybe people push it or, you know, we're looking to, to talk here on the podcast. Uh, did you see any of it, Joe? Did you see the main events, at least? Uh, yeah, I watched a bit out of curiosity. I just wanted to see what the setup was like. Um, and I wanted to see what the kind of madness of it all was as well essentially um and to say it wasn't mad was an is an understatement uh joe rogan's insistence on doing in-ring interviews and shaking hands i thought was fucking crazy yeah. uh, lost, lost someone i've always liked always respected as much of a libertarian as he likes to kind of push himself as i've lost all respect for him after that he's you know betrayed a lot of what he's kind of stood for over the years if you ask me by insisting on shaking hands in a show of kind of i don't know machismo to show what a man he is in that moment and yeah i i I think what what's i i can't be bothered like mma for me i've been on the outs of it for a long time um most of my favorite fighters have retired or don't fight that much anymore uh, as it is and i watched this and i i thought it worked better than empty arena wrestling i've got to mm. say it felt like watching an episode of the alma fighter which i've watched a lot of over the years yeah. um so yeah I, I i could see how this would work but at the same time I, I, I couldn't enjoy it. I couldn't get into it. And I don't know if that's me. Um, and I don't know if that's kind of a problem I've had with just MMA over the last couple of years, especially since the sale to Endeavor. I've just found there's been a real change in Dana White's approach. I think he's been exposed as even more of a wanker as he came across of, as before. And those are real issues that I have. John Jones, massive issue. I think Bisping retiring is a real issue. Um, McGregor believing his own hype for me was a massive issue as well. The women's division, which was great for a period, just kind of dying on its ass once Nunes got the belt. That was an issue as well. So, yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it. And I could see that Gaethje versus Ferguson was a really good fight. I get what would enjoy it. I found myself like really zoning out during it. And I was thinking to myself, this is where crowd noise would be. This is what would be going on at this moment in time from the crowd. And yeah, I, I can't, I can't separate myself from that. Um, so I won't be watching any more of this during this. I've got it out of the way from a curiosity standpoint. I've seen enough. 
I don't reckon I'll watch MMA again for a long time. I think it'll have to be a big fight. I think it'll have to be a McGregor fight, probably, or a Khabib fight for me to come back and watch at this point because I'm really bored of it and I'm really quite disgusted with it as a sport and as an industry. And I think Dana White comes out of this looking terribly. He had an opportunity there where if he waited two more months and didn't try to force this, which is what he's done, um, he would have, could have come out of this looking pretty good if he kind of shut up and towed, towed the line a little bit. But, hey, he's a man, and he's, a, he's an alpha male, and he's got to get those alpha credentials across, and he's got to shout and scream and talk about how he's hard done by and throw all his toys out of the pram in order to get this show on the go. And then one of his fighters gets coronavirus, but they still defy that, and they get through it because they're men. They're proper men. Now, they're fucking meat-headed idiots. And I was quite disgusted that it went ahead, to be honest, and that they endangered damn people's lives and people willingly put themselves in the fire in line when it came to risking not just catching the virus, but catching it and spreading the virus, which they were all willing to do. Yeah, I'm expecting that, JP. Like, I'm thinking, like, uh, it's only going to be a couple of days before we start getting more failures. Or we got to start getting here. And, oh, yeah, you know, all the, all the different people that they might have bumped into at the hotel, including the AEW wrestlers who were in the same hotel. I feel like it's not the end of that story. Because I think right now... I think me and you are kind of in the same boat with it. Like, I agree with everything you know. You said, Joe, like I completely like it, it's disgusting it even happened. It says everything about who Dana White is. He's just one of Trump's boys, isn't he? I wouldn't expect anything mm. moral from him at, at this point. But I, you know, I was pulled into it and I enjoyed it as a show. And like, mm. I think that is that maybe you know maybe it's wrong to say, but it may be a little bit less critical than maybe I was on the weekend going into it um, because it is morally just a turgid thing to do. And like on the Joe Rogan point as well, like Joe Rogan as like, he does his podcast still and he has scientists on pretty much every week telling him how bad everything is. Like what's he doing? Like surely like he knows as much as anybody. Like he should, like, he's, he's still, isn't he? Cause I've seen his podcast, JP. I don't know if you watch yeah. it. He still has guests on. He still has, he still brings them in in person. Yeah. I think he's doing some kind of test on himself, but you know, it's not foolproof, and like that's the cover AEW have been using as well. But uh, I don't know, like that that side of it is still really murky. I'm very wary about the testing and the idea of false positives. That's something you always end up reading about on this as well. So mm. I fear what's gone on at that hotel, and the amount of ways that he could casually spread around, unless mm. people are taking sort of like a ridiculous amount of precautions during it. Which, I'll be honest, it only takes one person. That's mm. all it. That's all it takes, and then before you know it, it's spread. So you're kind of expecting to hear stuff about this for it to come as um, an event. I think what probably helped with the UFC, and I'm more into it than than Joe, but mm. um, it was a stacked card. So in a kind yeah. of brutal way, and that's the problem with all of this: is that why is this stuff running? It's money. It's TV contracts. It's the idea that. AEW, without TNT's money, doesn't exist anymore. And mm -hmm. they are enormously in debt. So they are going to do anything to put on these shows. And WWE, obviously, we've spoken about in great detail, the issues they have with their TV, um, TV partners as well. And the fact that they're terrified of breaking any of those agreements. This just feels like it, it it's going, whether or not we like it, it's kind of by the by. This is what they've decided, and it's down to TV and TV rules. Which, I was thinking about New Japan and what they're doing at the moment, and the kind of classiness they come across with it. Although, I, sus I wonder at what point the financial hit they're going to end up taking 
are they going to end up running empty arena shows at some point, possibly in August in Japan? Yeah. God knows. They pushed back Wrestle Dynasty. It was the wise move to do for that. I've even thought, because I let my my subscription subscribe, uh, lapse to New Japan World, but just thinking as a kind of like, do you know what? I don't buy WWE Network, so I'd happily give a tenet of them at this point. Yeah, I've let mine carry on during this because yeah. I thought I did think actually at some point I'll go back and watch loads of classic stuff that I meant to watch that I've not really seen a lot of, and I've unfortunately not done it. Uh, but I just sort of think, you know, it's a few quid. What is it? Seven, eight quid each month, and I would be spending that anyway on this. And there's a lot of play because I'm still working and still getting paid my full. There's a lot of places that I've saved money at the moment, so then each month yeah. it doesn't really make any difference. And I want New Japan wrestlers to get paid and i want the company to survive so yeah I've, I've carried on paying it just just from that perspective but also if new japan do start running again mm-hmm. i sort of think they do it in two months when it's a lot safer and they start doing empty arena at first fine if you have seeded that fine when it's safer but in america it's not fucking safe at the moment no no that's it again on the air um, like i think new japan is the one i'm waiting for is like not life's back to normal but we've got you know something that when new japan is up and running again i feel like that's going to be the moment where i'm going to feel okay we're back to like the normal not normal but something more approaching like a, a normal life i kind of trust them to to open at the right time um but yeah who knows like it's a, to be honest i did the same thing like when i did the match of the month podcast uh, with jamesy last week you can find that on the grapple feed by the way uh, we were reviewing it we were reviewing a couple of new japan matches and there was a part of me thinking, ah, shall I just go and watch wrestling and watch these matches? And then I thought, no, you know what? It's probably the right thing to do. I'll re-sign up to New Japan World and I'll buy at least another month to watch those matches. So I felt proud of myself for uh, doing the right thing there. Could have um, had my login, Ben. I, uh, I suppose so. Just ask. To be honest, I listened to the two Andes do the, uh, the RevPro podcast this afternoon. I'm a real sucker. And they were going on about shop.revpro.com. And I went on and bought a New Japan t-shirt because I just felt bad for the lads. Uh, did the same thing the other week bought a gcw t-shirt that took about a, a month to come got stung for about 14 pound worth of uh, import mm. taxes thank you royal mail but, you know i feel like i'm doing a bit in the support in there um i was gonna say on the ufc point guard do, do you follow it at all like i i think the- to be honest with with the ufc like i was massively into it about 10 years ago when i don't know it was like gsp in his prime couture was still on the go like leo machida shogun hua and all that in the in the light heavyweights and i was probably more into ufc than wrestling probably 10 years ago at that at that point it was uh it was almost like they they booked rest booked ufc better than wrestling booked wrestling almost kind of thing like the most well wrestling promotion for a while yeah yeah just the little the little promo packages and stuff that they did at the start like i actually like cared about fighters that i'd never seen before or you go into a fight and think you're back one of them but i think one of the like the big things is everyone's too well-rounded now so back then you'd have you know someone who was like a hardcore bjj guy or something like that and you know you could be like right behind them and you'd know that they're going to get in there and submit someone or equally you'd have like a a great uh, great knockout knockout artist or something like that but then as it's evolved and grown suddenly everyone's jujitsu is better everyone's wrestling's better everyone's stand-ups better and they've kind of cancelled themselves out a bit i think and probably someone will like statistically prove me wrong but i just feel like when i do see it these days it's like I don't know, it's gone like it's gone three rounds and it's a decision or it's gone five rounds and it's a decision and you don't seem to get the same like flash knockouts or flashy submissions and things like that that you did back in the day when like you had people like my boy Husamar Palhares 
breaking people's arms and things like that. You know, it just doesn't seem to happen as much these days. But um, I think equally, as Joe was saying there, just some of the stuff around, you know, I think Dana White and the way he's treated people, people who've been loyal to the company, like Mike Goldberg and things like that, who are just like ushered out of the door and okay. You know, there might have been things behind the scenes and things, who knows, but, you know, to, to not even get a goodbye after 10 years and, you know, there's been plenty of fighters there who it's just like, yeah, oh, thank you, not booking you there anymore and things like that. And you just think, yeah, yeah, this guy's uh, this guy's out for number one, isn't he? And he's, uh, he's, a, bit, he's a bit shady with it all as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm firmly on the outs with the UFC. Like, Yeah, I think I've given Vince McMahon a lot of criticism and rightly fucking so. But I think Dana White has been, I think he's actually been worse during this. Like, yeah, Vince has released a lot of his workers in order to, uh, and is going to make a massive profit this year as it is. That's a fucking awful act. But in terms of public appearances uh, during this and comments made publicly, I think Dana has been nothing but an absolute disgrace throughout the whole thing. I can't see why anyone would want to work for someone who's got that sort of brazen attitude to a global pandemic and almost wants to deny that a global pandemic exists because it kind of doesn't help his business. Um, you look at the way that, say, a Tanahashi has acted during this. You look at what people have been saying about Harold Mays during this, and it feels like New Japan are the grown-ups in the room. They're the sensible company that have got a head on them. They book logically. You look at UFC in the last few years from a booking standpoint. Like, I agree with you, Gareth. They were the most well-booked uh, pro wrestling company in the world for a period where the UFC. Uh, it felt like they were getting wrestling right, if anything, in terms of build-up packages, in terms of promos, um, in terms of building characters, building big fights. Whereas in the last few years, I think they've become kind of desperate. Um, ever since that Endeavor sale, you look at the way people get title fights now. You look at the way that they bent over backwards to please John Jones. You look at the shady issues around drug testing, around kind of punishments that are dished out towards him. Okay, he's a bit of a star. He's not that big of a star. He's not that big of a difference maker. And they've done silly, silly things for that bloke who doesn't make that much difference to their bottom line at the end of the day. It just confuses me. I wonder if he's got some dirt on Dana White. Like, There's all that stuff about Dana White and his uh, stripper girlfriend and paying guys off in Vegas and all sorts, <laughs> isn't there? Like his Tony Soprano dreams and all the rest of it. I wonder if it goes deeper with John Jones, possibly. Perhaps after that Gustafsson fight, uh, John and Dana were out on the town doing some naughty things and you know that's i'm spreading rumor here obviously i'm like a live endeavor they're after a few quid so you know my house is worth a little bit so come get me uh yeah it's uh it it, it kind of shows it's not just wrestling that's the uh the scummy business right now but again like i i'll say with the same as you jp i as a show i enjoyed you know the main event was like tony ferguson justin gagey was an incredible fight, even in like an empty arena. Francis Ngannou knocking people out is always entertaining. I feel like every UFC mm. show put on, he's on there beating the shit out. He's going to kill someone at some point. Like he really is. Um, but I still like, even though I'm enjoying it, I can't get that bit out of my head. Even though they're saying everybody in the building's been tested, it still feels icky. Like I don't know how much you guys have seen of a uh, sort of AEW this week um, and last week as well, but like this week especially, you know, with them being live and you know they've done the same thing. Like I don't know where where you put that. Like in in compared to maybe what WWE are doing, because we're gonna have a uh, plenty to say about a WWE show in a minute. But like, can you say with like UFC and with AEW at least they're testing people? Is that does it make it better? I mean, like you said, JP, the the testing's 
not perfect, you know, they're, they're treating it like it is, because now that they've tested people, they've got the flying JR out to TV, they're doing big brawls backstage with all kinds of people, families, there seem to be like a lot of the kids on set, uh, they really kind of flaunted, like they were pretending they were still doing social distancing, but they weren't even trying, weren't even trying that hard with that, and yeah, like you said, testing on a go so far, doesn't it? Does it make you feel, it made me feel slightly better watching it, but it still felt like Joe said, like, we're still we're still at least a month or a couple of months too early. Maybe if you, as we get deeper into the summer, you start doing stuff like this where you're testing people and then you're doing shows and maybe you can take more precautions. But I don't know. Does it make make, make it feel any better for you to uh, to watch their TV these last couple of weeks, especially this week? I was able to. Okay, so it does make you feel better hearing them acknowledge that this exists. Whereas obviously in WWE, there is none of that. There's no acknowledgement mm-hmm. whatsoever. On the other hand, um, as soon as I saw the seat, you know, like where the, where the wrestlers who were acting as fans were sitting, I was going, is that two meters? I'm not sure. You could have spread them out more. The plate is fucking massive. And at that point, I started to feel slightly uneasy when I saw the commentary booth and they're all together and all going, we're tested. And it's like, so's Jackery Sousa now in benefit of hindsight. It's like, how does this work? It, it, I get why they're doing it and it's better than WWE as we're going to talk about in, in there at all. And they, you know, Jim Ross was going, we're playing by the rules and everything else. And you're just thinking it just takes one case for this to happen. What I would say about it as a TV program is it's actually okay, if that mm. makes any sense, as like what works out as an hour and a half of entertainment that I'm kind of okay with watching in spite of myself, and I don't like myself for it. I did like enjoy the main event this week. I'll say that much. But at the same time, it just shouldn't be happening. And I can't move beyond that point. And as much as I can mm. switch my head off, it just shouldn't be happening. Mm. Do you watch it this week, Gareth? Do you manage to uh, turn your brain off maybe a little bit more and watch it? Because I'm with JP. I did, I did think this week's show was actually decent, and last week's show was decent as well. Um, but I've still got like kind of that uh, that voice in my head while I'm watching, it. especially when yeah, you know, the main event was a lot of fun, like that Jericho and Sammy Guevara against Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy thing with Kenny Omega. You know, I don't always love his DDT stuff, but DT style stuff, I should probably say, but it was actually, you know, the, the golf cart stuff was stupid, but the moonsault he did off the scaffold, and I thought it was genuinely like a real big moment. And all in all, I thought it was actually an entertaining TV show, but I don't know, do you find it as, as hard as we do to, uh, to turn your brain off watching it? I mean, I just feel like a massive hypocrite because, like, I've known about it and, you know, like, social distancing and see all these dickheads and things like that down the beach and things like that here and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, but then, like I watched that and I just like loved the show. I just really enjoyed it. It was, it was, really it, it, it was just like a, a step change as well from them last few weeks where it has been just like I haven't wanted to watch it kind of thing in that um in whatever QE Marshall's shed or wherever they've been there <laughs> they've been there filming Some in the last, shed, the last few weeks. <laughs> it's impressive. But, uh, <laughs> but it just um it just felt like a it felt a bit more like a proper show this week and just I don't know, just the the way it was presented and things like that. It all just felt, I don't know, it felt like a step change and I just got lost in it and just really, really enjoyed it. And then at the end, I just thought like, oh, like, yeah, you hypocrite, you're there moaning and things like that. But you absolutely love it. You know, you love that kind of thing. And, you know, it was just a good uh, good two hours lost that I was definitely uh, definitely more interested in than, than previous weeks. 
yeah, it, that's kind of how I felt about UFC as well. It was just like, uh, maybe I'm trying to kid myself, trying to go, well, at least there's testing, and try and convince, mm-hmm. just because it's good. And I think it does, it's a bit like the old NXT UK argument we used to make, you know, it's killing the scene. The least it could fucking do is be good, because if it was good, we'd still moan, but at least it'd be worthwhile. Like, okay, it's not worthwhile, the, the lives that they're risking here, but yeah, maybe it's being a bit hypocritical to say, I enjoyed the show as well. Like I enjoyed that main event. I'm enjoying the Lance Archer builds with the with all the Cody Rhodes and Jake the Snake stuff. Not so much enjoying the Brandy stuff. She seems to be all over the shows again, uh, which is always a, a, a recurring theme, isn't it? Brandy yeah, appears and it's shit. Do you feel like to- Big Tone is like? I feel like he's just stopped listening to Kenny in the books. Like, especially with the books not being there, and he's listening to Cody more and more, and really just taking over himself and booking it like his, his EWR game, as we all expected to at the start. But I do think, like, Cody still has his ear, and he still managed to, yeah, do those terrible backstage brandy promos. But other than that, honestly, I thought it was another really good show, you know. And again, we didn't really get a chance to talk last week's one, which was a, a really good show as well with a really strong main event. Um, they are, hypocritical as it is to say, on a decent enough run considering it's empty arena wrestling it's the high watermark of what empty arena wrestling in the u.s is going to be and it's the only one that's got any semblance of an atmosphere to it because as we talk money in the bank the kind of sheer silence and the the kind of all of that stuff is is just for a horrible viewing experience like you there was stuff that i enjoyed on a personal level i'm very happy for sugar dunkerton Oh yeah, yeah. As as someone who is being given a really big opportunity, and the fact, and this is Jericho, and it kind of sums up Jericho. There is nothing in this for Jericho. They're really doing Sugar it. Duncan versus Jericho next week. Yeah, pineapple. Where's that Pete. come from? It's a whole been a whole recurrent un- angle of him in the crowd in previous weeks, and him mm. calling him Pineapple Pete. And all oh, right, they it's did just Jericho working his magic, isn't it? Yeah, and is he, do you think he was a big fan of fantasy football back in the day, and Jason Lee and Nottingham Forest. <laughs> <laughs> Going to wheel out Frank Clark next, <laughs> <laughs> and his cabinet of Fuji's uh, "Killing Me Softly" singles. Yeah, classic. <laughs> sketch. Uh, I tell you what, it needs like if they do do that Sugar Dunkerton, um, well, well, they are doing the Sugar Dunkerton Jericho match this week. Like, feel, feel like they should be pumping in like the Ogden singing the old Sugar Sugar song from uh, <laughs> from PCW, uh, just to give it a bit of atmosphere. I feel like that uh, that really help things. It's it's such a massive opportunity for him though, and oh, that's yeah. nice. Like, yeah, it is. It, it is. It's like those QT Marshall students, and you know, and I've, again, I've been watching it. I've, I don't feel necessarily good for having watched all of the AEWs, but I have to say those QT Marshall students, they're okay as mm. enhancement talent and stuff on dark. Why not? If you're mm. getting them squashed and everything else and get some, a few more indie bookings at some point when things go back to normal, then why not? I'm kind of, mm. I don't mind it. And when you see things like that on a show, I, I kind of get more of a happier vibe about it. You more, more you think this is like something that is, would be throwaway if it happened on Raw. But the idea of Sugar Dunkerton getting a match with Chris Jericho, if we'd said that, what, two months ago? It's kind of piqued my interest, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like, I, haven't I, watched, I haven't watched this stuff in, God, it's got to be at least a month, possibly more, uh, since I last would have watched any mm-hmm. empty arena bollocks. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, because I will watch the pay-per-view, um, but yeah, that's kind of interesting to me. I've got to say, I could see that being good fun. I think 
the thing with the pay-per-view as well. What I like about it from what I've seen of the card is they seem to be booking more of like a B standard pay-per-view. It feels like they aren't wasting a lot of big matches. Like I'd like to see Cody and Archer in front of a crowd. Obviously, it would be better in front of a crowd. But they're not wasting a great deal of like great matches on that show by doing a Young Bucks versus Page and Omega uh, rematch, for example. And it feels like going with Brody Lee and Ambrose, sorry, Moxie, the main event, is probably a better route to go down for this pay-per-view, if you ask me. Yeah, I think people are probably going to watch it anyway. I know that that argument of, well, everyone's at home, everyone's going to watch wrestling has kind of been proven false by, you know, AW's TV ratings dropping to the 600,000s and Raw and SmackDown dropping to, to record lows. But I do feel like, yeah, the people who were going to buy an AW pay-per-view anyway, it's probably going to be them same people ordering on fight. It's going to be... So that probably does make sense, yeah, maybe to not go all gun co. But I, I have liked that. I've liked the way they've weaved in maybe more lower card guys like doing Cody and Joey, Joey Janela on this week's show and uh, what was the other match yeah John Moxley and Frankie Kazarian I like that they've got that mm. hierarchy now of like you know I read those two matches out to you you know who's going to win those matches but like if this was if this was WWE you wouldn't know that for certain like that's what I, I, I like that I like that they you know that it's clear you know next week we all know Jericho is going over unless he pulls a Triple H and Shelton Benjamin. You know, Triple H being his big hero, maybe he'll maybe he'll do that. But generally, there's a hierarchy in place, and they're making good use, you know, of the limited amount of toys I suppose they've got right now. Even if you know, maybe more people are back on the TV right now. The stories have been better. The stories mm. themselves, other than us, have to say the Jake Roberts Brandy Road stuff. Like mm. the stories themselves have been very easy and quite easy to kind of go along with one thing i thought they were gonna have on the pay-per-view and i'm kind of surprised that they didn't i thought they might have a jericho matt hardy hardy compound type match i kind of wondered Mm. whether or not they're going to do something like that with sammy guevara because i won't lie if you're going to do cinematic wrestling i kind of want to see them involved in it for that to work for me it's WWE poison in the water again, though, isn't it? It's like when, mm. remember when they were going to do war games and they put it off because WWE did like seven of them in the same week. Um, yeah. Maybe it's not the time, you know, be careful. Because like, to be fair, the main event this week was kind of cinematic wrestling, wasn't it? Like I, I described as maybe DDT style, but you know yeah. what I mean? Like with the backstage chase and, you know, all of that stuff. That was bloody I fun. I loved watching that. What was that, Gary? I just think as well with what you're saying there about having them like well-defined tiers as well. One of the things that I think they've done really well is people can lose and it doesn't sort of, it doesn't seem to matter as much. It's not like they're like dead in the water as much as they would be in WWE. So say like Sammy Guevara, he loses all the time and like he just, but he's, is such he's been put over so well working with Jericho and he just feels like he's a, he's a star and a growing star and it almost feels like he's, not like New Japan Young Boy, but it almost feels like he's a young person on the roster who's getting over despite getting beat. And you can look at it and you can go, you know what? In two years, three years' time, he's going to be like right up there. He's going to be like one of the, one of the main main eventers. And it, it feels like somebody's going to actually be able to like grow through the tears within the promotion, like. When you were doing that show the other day talking about WWE 1997, where you had like Austin and he could come through and it didn't need to be just like rocketed to the top immediately. He could go through the Intercontinental and step 
through and come through. And it was the same with The Rock and Triple H and things. There was that natural kind of like upwards flow, really. And I think they've, uh, I, th- I think they're sort of getting that as well with, the, you know, the likes of Darby Allen as well. He can pick up defeats, but they're sowing the seeds for him in the future as well and things like that. And I think that's, that's something that they're, they're getting really right that they're not just like, cannon fodder and then it's like two years and they're done and they're worth nothing to anybody you know they're definitely uh definitely growing them yeah they haven't pegged talent at a level whereas i think with wwe now it feels like there's that ultimate hierarchy where it's still like triple age is still the man when he comes back and everyone pales in comparison to the great king triple h when he comes back and he's everyone's dad who's better than everyone and more dominant than everyone and then you've got that kind of tier below say a triple age a lesnar and an undertaker with like aj and daniel bryan but you think about guys who have upward momentum who've actually come through the ranks who has got anywhere from starting sort of lower on the card over the last few years? Whereas when I really started getting back into wrestling, sort of late 99, the guys that I kind of loved at the time of the undercard, like say your Edge and Christians or your Hardy Boys or your Jerichos, your Benoits, that were radicals generally when they came in, you kind of saw them at that level and you saw them constantly sort of working up the card and you had almost like faith that they were going to get out of the card and following their career and their trajectory was like really good fun because you felt like there was going to be this natural progression where they were going to get that opportunity eventually. Whereas in WWE, I cannot remember the last time that that naturally happened in any way at all. Just like they forced wrestling during a global pandemic, they force pushes because one day Vince wakes up, wakes up and goes, right, I want to push this guy today. Put the rocket on his back. And I always think about the one that I hated back then was the JBL push because it was like one week he was kicking some ass and drinking some beer and taking payoffs. And didn't he go to Iraq in an angle once to try and find Saddam Hussein? And that was about three or four months before he suddenly trades, you know, his beers in, trades his uh, brass knuckles in to on his bloody cowboy hat, start riding limos, put his kind of posh cowboy boots on rather than his rough cowboy boots, put his tailored suits on, and, I don't know, go and plough some oil fields or get his mate or his workers to plough his oil fields and become a fucking Wall Street banker. Like, that push was... I hated that push because it it was the first unnatural push that had happened in my entire time during that period of watching wrestling. And it feels like pushes in WWE now are just that push when they happened. It's why I had no interest in the Drew McIntyre push. As good a wrestler as I think he is, it felt forced. It felt like it wasn't organic, and it felt like it was like, oh, we need a guy. Uh, We've done 50-50 with him for a while, but let's go with him. And that's why I can't invest anything in WWE, partly. But this comes down to also them, their lower card titles don't mean anything. IC doesn't mean anything anymore. US title doesn't mean anything. They haven't meant anything for such a long time. So that kind of tiered storylines, the stuff that I love in New Japan, people working their way up the cards, as you guys have said, it can't happen there. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, like, on your point about uh, JBL, Joe, I would say that what he did tip the hand, though, because remember when he was like doing the, uh, when he was still in the APA, but he had like the the Bradshaw hair, and he looked like he just mm. literally walked off a stock market. He did have like that weird. He's had a weird career. Like he's gone from being like 
Justin Hawk Bradshaw to being a blackjack, as we talked about on that 1997 show at the weekend, to being a, a tough guy who gambles and is the APA. Oh, mate, before like... that, he was a satanic follower of The Undertaker. In the oh, yeah, that too, yeah, too. Oh, God, yeah. He's had a, so many, like, but that's the thing, he was one of them, wasn't he? He'd had so many bad characters and okay characters and basically mid-card characters that, yeah, you'd like to just hit reset and go with them was always weird, and that is a very WWE thing to do. He did the same thing with Jinder, didn't he, a couple of years ago? Like, I, one of my favourite live experiences, to be honest, I don't normally enjoy WWE shows, but I went to that Manchester show where AJ beat Jinder for the title, and it was, like, more relief than anything, because at that point I was still watching WWE for some reason, uh, and I just didn't want to see that anymore. Uh, but that's that's more a WWE-style thing. That's how, that's how they push people, and, you know, to your point you made, Gareth, you know, you talk about Sammy Guevara, Guevara losing matches and it being fine. That's because he's one guy, isn't it? And Darby Allen's kind of in a similar vein, but they use him in a very different way. You can kind of get away with two. But in WWE, that'd be everybody. It's not just two guys whose strengths are being, you know, maximized and two guys where, ah, you can kind of get away with it with this character. In WWE, it's just that logjammer mid-carders who are all kind of treated the same way. So, yeah, I would say over these last few weeks, AEW has actually... You know, as hard as it is to say it morally, has been good TV, and I think they've actually been, you know, delivering and on time as well for for like this pay per view coming up. Which again, moral issues with it coming up. I wish they'd waited a month. I wish they'd waited two months. To be honest, there was, as we talked about, an open goal there to let WWE and UFC make fools of themselves and then come back in as the good guys. But what they're actually putting out there on TV is actually quite good. Um, I was going to say though, Joe, while we were watching that, I don't know, I don't know whether I've. Uh, I've delayed us enough here, or uh, or built it up enough. We were watch. You've not been watching A and AEW, but we uh, we did manage to get you to watch uh, watch one thing this uh, these last couple of days. Oh, are we going here already? Are we? <laughs> I think we are. You know? <laughs> yeah. Unless anyone's going else in AEW, Gareth, anything? <laughs> no, no. Let's get the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, do you want me to just because all I watched was that Money in the Bank match? I didn't watch any of the rest of the show. Do you want to go straight to the Money in the Bank match? Oh, that, that's the headline here, Joe. We've got to. Like, this is the, uh, this is the match that has had people talking, you know. Gareth's on here to give us, you know, the, I don't know what it is, Gareth. We had you on for WrestleMania weekend, and now we've had you on for Money in the Bank. I feel like you're like our resident WWE expert. Now we're going to get you on and make it's you stay up. Yeah, it's because I have to stay up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know how you do it. Like, you literally <laughs> stayed up last night. Uh, to be fair, I think the one positive I hear people saying is it finished reasonably on time. What time to finish? About half two, something like that. At least with that. Half two, I was absolutely euphoric. I was like looking at my, I was like looking at the clock and half two. And then when I'd been like looking at the timings earlier, it said that the show was going to finish at half three. And I was thinking, oh fuck, is there going to be some like cash in here or something like that? Or are they going to do like two cash ins and throw two matches on now at the end? But then like the little credits came up at the end and I was absolutely skipping up to bed at half past two, delighted. <laughs> uh, you're doing the, uh, doing the Lord's work there. Yeah, and I, I watched it, but I literally lit. The hour before we came on here and did the podcast, I just made sure I watched the last two matches because I can't, I can't with like the, the full WWE pay per view thing anymore. Uh, it just you watched the whole thing though, like as, uh, as Joe said there, didn't you, JP? You've seen it all. I wouldn't say watch the whole thing. It was <laughs> on really while I was working, and I was doing some admin, and it provided a soundtrack. A uh, couple of matches I looked up. I God, that sounds like the worst soundtrack you could possibly have to any admin. Well, that's <laughs> Michael Cole and Corey Graves. It kind of Jesus. meant. It kind of meant I, I zone those fuckers out. I don't even hear them anymore. Although after doing that, after looking at Canadian Stampede, the problem I've got 
is that when I start hearing Michael Cole, I'm starting listening to all the Vince-isms, and you can start to pick up on them. The fact that, he, you know, it's the storylines he pushes, but the actual kind of matches themselves. It's like, he doesn't really give a shit now at this point. He's not going to put in the effort. Yeah, it was fucking awful. That, like, t- I heard people going on about that tag match. It was a tag match. It was on. There was lots of flippy shit. It was all a bit wacky. It was an uncoordinated mess. And for the rest of it, it was pretty much shite. Um, although, and I'm not even going into the main event yet. I'm going to let Joe do that bit first. But <laughs> this our truth <clears throat> Fucking MVP stuff there. How is that on like WWE TV in 2020? That sounds like TNA 2007 or something, doesn't it? Or 2010? It's a US title feud in like 2007, wasn't it? Jesus. Was it? Yes. Yeah. It's amazing he survived the cult. In fairness to him. And he's made... he's He challenged Tom Brady to a match. They brought up Rob Gronkowski. Do you know why they keep our truth on, though? Because he's really cheap. Like he once told my... Like Trent Seven once told my brother at a pub, I'm on our truth money and I can take indie bookings and sell merch, right? So that tells me our truth isn't on a great deal of money. And that's a quote directly from Trent Seven. And apparently Vince finds R-Truth hilarious as well because he does all the toilet humour bollocks that he likes, doesn't he? Mm. So I think that's the reason he's there. But that money in the bank match, right. (laughs) How anyone can come out of this thing and, oh, that was really good fun. I really enjoyed that. That really took my mind off a global pandemic for a bit, even though they laughed in the face of a global pandemic, which we'll come on to in a minute. They seriously need to have a look in the mirror and think about their life choices and think about like what they're getting out of this global pandemic. This was one of the worst pieces of not just wrestling, because it wasn't wrestling, but of entertainment I have ever seen in my life. And I have seen some shit throughout my life. Shit I've been forced to watch. Shit I've watched out of choice. Shit I've watched out of curiosity. I watched this purely because we were going to talk about it on the podcast. And I thought, well, I've not watched a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about. And often it's me who's watched the least amount of content. And, you know, JP's, like, <laughs> got all of the fucking football stickers. And my football sticker book's looking pretty bare, <laughs> let's be honest. So if I'm going to watch anything... I'm going to watch whatever this fucking movie bollocks they were doing. And to call this a movie is an insult to filmmaking. I've seen some bad films. I've seen some bad films from some bad filmmakers. The likes of Uwe Boll are making masterpieces compared to this. This was like you took a camera along to your amateur dramatics night and you got someone on Windows fucking movie maker to put an edit together of some of the different angles you got afterwards. This was an insult to Amdram, if anything. This was absolutely fucking awful number one right here's a set of lifts like elevators that you go up at a big building let's do our entrances and do our taunts to the camera by a set of lifts like it looked like they were in a fucking john lewis or a marks and spencers or something doing their entrances it's just weird it looks odd It doesn't look normal, even if you understand what this universe is. It's just weird, right? Also, the whole climbing the corporate ladder. The last time I remember watching something where you had a building based around a corporation um, was probably Diard and the Nakatomi Corporation. Now, we're starting off 
at a high fucking level, if my nearest comparison to this is the greatest action movie ever made, and Die Hard, this was fucking not. Now, this gets underway, and you've got this Amdram shite unfolded, and Asuka gets in a lift, and the way that people are selling and crawling to the lift, I started thinking, all right, I was thinking John Lewis or M&S. It's a bit dawn of a dead this, isn't it? People crawling towards lifts in slow motion and her trying to get the lift, lift doors to close. Like, there are a bunch of fucking zombies and she's one of the only human beings who's left there. Like, what? Like, this is an insult to George Romero and John McTiernan at this point. One great filmmaker, one truly influential filmmaker, and one filmmaker who was great for a cup of coffee and kind of blew his load in Last Action Hero. The less said about that, the better. Now... Uh, during these entrances, we then cut to this fucking gym, right? The gym that was in those Vince and Shane videos from years ago where Vince is drinking the raw eggs and pumping the weights and the rest of it. Good entertainment. So, again, some good entertainment from years ago when Vince was in touch with the world, right? And here we are back in the gym. Now, I, my girlfriend decided to watch this with me. She <laughs> finds the entire concept of money in the bank hilarious. Um, has done ever since she started like seeing me watching wrestling many years ago and we started going out with one another and found it hilarious we were climbed up a ladder in order to get a contract to cash in in a wrestling match of their choosing at any point in time. Yeah, the concept's ridiculous but we accept it because we're wrestling fans. This goes too far. Climbing a corporate fucking ladder and running up a building in order to get to the top of the building? It doesn't make any sense. It's like a fucking game show. It was like a bad version of the Crystal Maze at this point. <laughs> and Baron Corbin looked like a bad version. That bloke who used to present the Crystal Maze as well. Richard O'Brien. Like, yeah, him. <laughs> now, my girlfriend at Baron one point saw Baron Corbin and said to me, yeah. right, number one, he doesn't look well. He's an ugly fucker. And why are they trying to remind us about Roman Reigns' leukemia? And I was like, good shout that. Because... Um, <laughs> He looks ill. He looks like he might have been a cancer patient. It, like, he looks bad. And Vince McMahon thinks this guy's good-looking. I then asked her who she thought the best-looking wrestler was, and she said Sami Zayn, because he looks like Seth Rogen, and she really fancies Seth Rogen. I was thinking, Sami Zayn, good choice. A woman with good taste, I've got to say, you know. I like to think her taste is impeccable, if anything. Better than anyone out there. So, yeah. Chose someone good there. And then she said, Daniel Bryan's also a very good-looking bloke, and he looks great with his haircut as well. But why is he in this shit? Why have you got a man who might be one of the best wrestlers in the fucking world running through corridors like he's in the fucking Shining, but there's not an ounce of Kubrick in here. It was the worst impression of Kubrick I've ever seen. Another great filmmaker. That's three that I've just gone through here. And then there was a point where AJ Styles walks past a painting or a picture of The Undertaker, and he's scared by the painting. I was thinking it's like me watching Ghostbusters 2, when there was that painter, that big bloke that was really fucking scary. Do you remember that when he comes out of the painting at some yeah. point later on? Like, what? Like, yeah, like, what? He's scared of a painting. How much of a geek do you want this fella to look like? 
Then he opens a door and he's in a fucking funeral parlour. Why is there a funeral parlour at WWE HQ? Why is there a funeral parlour there? Like, have they got some side business on the go where they're doing funerals as well now to get them through a pandemic because they're cashing in on the amount of deaths that are going on, I was thinking right now. I don't know what the, the death rate is in Connecticut. It might be quite high. If anyone wants to look it up, please feel free, particularly in Stanford, because maybe that's how they're making a bit of side cash at the moment. And if someone's watching this, you know, people have an themselves a bleach apparently because a president said it if they're idiotic enough to watch this and you know take advice they might be ringing up titan fucking towers and asking for a funeral yeah and i hope they're inundated with calls the bastards and i hope it goes straight <laughs> to the vintage office and that fucking office that we saw it oh my god how old does vince look like he yeah, looks like jeans. He, mate, he looks like he's going to be in one of them caskets pretty soon <laughs> he was looking oh. awful. do you know what he looks like do you remember? Do you remember the bloke from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when he's drunk from what is the cup of the king? When really <laughs> clearly he should have picked the cup of a carpenter. That first bit when his hair grows out, he looked like he didn't have fucking real legs. <laughs> like he didn't. I looked at him and I thought, "Mate, you're gone. This is all yeah. a Tyrannosaurus thing." Or sorry to interject, Joe. No, oh. please, mate. I hadn't, I hadn't, you know, I had a break for breath for a while. So <laughs> Connecticut, <laughs> by the way, has had over 33,000 cases of the coronavirus wow. and 3,000 deaths. So it is kind of, it's it's up there in the top, um, yeah, it's up there in the top 10. And think of the amount of WWE employees who are probably still going into the office, and they're probably yeah. the biggest business or one of in uh, that area as well. So mm, I wonder if they're responsible for that rate at this point in time. Like AJ and Brian in that fucking office, though, just betray- it was like I said about Triple H earlier. He's the man still. They're both scared of Vince. Imagine if this was 1999 and someone went in Vince's office. Imagine it was Austin. Like no, this is why none of these guys can get properly over at this point because oh, there's the hierarchy. They're scared of him. And then Vince decided to you know make a joke but the coronavirus by using some sanitizer on his hand didn't he oh ha 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 how tone deaf of us as a company everything wrong about that company was summed up there you know what i'm gonna bring up carmella's fake tits first time i'd seen them my girlfriend looked at me so they look fucking ridiculous what she'd done to herself the pressures of this fucking company and what they put on women why did diana Parazzo quit rumors are she wouldn't go under the knife there we go then they get outside here right and this otis fell Right, I've not really seen a lot of him. The most I've seen of him was when I was in New Orleans a couple of years ago and he was sat on a table across from me chowing down on a New Orleans-style po'boy and he looked like he was enjoying it. And he looked like he was enjoying it more than that fucking buffet that Paul Heyman was looking at as if it was like his last fucking supper. It looked like one of the worst buffets I've ever seen in my life. And I've been to some bad buffets, some bad buffets. Some of them Chinese buffets, there's one in Camden I went to in particular that's still there that I used to walk past on the day of ballroom shows and think back in horror, kind of quake and shiver in horror, the terrible meal I had there in 2006. So I've seen some terrible buffets, and the way that they were going mad in that buffet, yeah, that buffet deserved to be fucking destroyed at that point. But then I was thinking of the health workers who could do with that food right now while they're on a shift, and they just decided to fucking waste it in a city where there are apparently 3,000 deaths. So well done to them again, but not thinking about the wider public, but thinking about a lovely skit during a terrible, terrible whatever this was, an dram performance that was just utter shit. Let me get up on this roof. This roof, right, how many spots are there in the actual wrestling ring set up on the roof? Two, three, four, yeah. hardly any. Why set up a ring in the first place? Then we get Rey Mysterio 
go off the building. It's hardly Hans Gruber falling off the Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza, is it, at this point? And you know what? I also thought to myself, another great moment when someone falls off a roof, and it's kind of a false finish, is when Marty McFly falls off the roof of Biff's, in a, a, a place I've been in Las Vegas, actually a casino in Las Vegas. I'm actually $3.40 free up in Biff's Casino in Vegas. Made a pilgrimage there, love Back to the Future 2, think it's the best of the series, personally. But when Marty falls off the building after the two McFly's with the same gun, I uh, thought it was poetic justice moment, and Biff's amazed that he's just thrown over the building, and then Doc comes up, and it's Biff over the head. Well, like, I'd like to see Vince and fucking Trump, who's doing an impression of get over the head by a DeLorean door. That would, that would give us some use. And up the Irish AJP with their DeLoreans. What a great car that was. Yeah, at least in Back to the Future 2, when he jumps off the roof, and there's no sound, it leads somewhere. It leads to a moment. These two just disappear into the ether. It's like it was a, it's a black hole. There's no impact. Nothing happens. I suppose there have been 3,000 deaths in Connecticut. See, we don't want to, you know, put anyone else on the death list at this moment in time, do we? And uh, this finished, and it, the finish was fucking terrible. This lad who wins at this Otis fella, I don't get it. It's lost on me. Like, has he got, like, some sort of, like, learning disability or something? Is that meant to be it? My girlfriend was asking me that as well. New and she was saying it's... It seemed offensive. I was like, yeah, but this company don't care about causing offence at any point. If they can just bung a bit of money to an anti-bullying campaign to try and smooth over the fact that, you know, people are getting abused backstage or the rest of it and bullied by the likes of JBL and Vince, whatever. But I was thinking to myself when this ended, is this the worst – you can't call this a match, but is it the worst thing I've ever seen in this company? I was thinking, right, Kennel from Hell, Katie Vick – JBL Cena parking lot brawl. That was awful. The gobbledygooker. <laughs> For me, this might outrank them all and be the number one in terms of the worst thing this company have ever produced. I think this wow. was worse than the Rollins Wyatt Hell in a Cell match last year. This was just beyond bad. And I am so annoyed that I wasted my time watching this <laughs> just so I can get angry on this fucking podcast. <laughs> Honestly, I've got to stop doing it. At a time when, you know, people's mental health is suffering, this made mine worse. It really, really did. I don't know what you lot thought. I know Gareth's probably got a few comments on it, but fuck me. I, just awful. Absolutely <sighs> awful. <laughs> With all that said, Joe, what you give it on Grapple? What was your, what was your rating? <laughs> right, Gareth. I've got you on the line. <laughs> I need to lobby you. <laughs> minus stars, mate. Can we make it a thing? <laughs> you've, How you've much got a, work is it going to take? You've got a 20-point scale there to, to rate things on if increments of 0.25. If that's not enough for people, then... <laughs> Mate, this is minus five stars. I went wow. 0.25 because it's the lowest I can go. This is minus five. This was one of the worst pieces of entertainment I've ever seen in my life. It might be the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I was trying to think of worse films. Killer Bitch, some British gangster film I saw a few years ago. This is worse than that. London Rampage? This is worse. <laughs> At least, mate, Will Ospreay's in it. Will Ospreay is... Yeah. Will Ospreay and Paul Robinson have an empty arena match in the Resistance Gallery. <laughs> yeah, they do, don't they? Uh, I miss how they enjoy stars and Daniel Bryan in it. That says everything, doesn't it? They didn't do any wrestling. They're good no. at wrestling. Yeah. They're not necessarily good at acting. At least AJ and Brian were hamming it up a little bit, but that couldn't even save it. They had to pretend they were scared of fucking Vince McMahon. Yeah, it was just... It was, it was a tough watch. Like, I... 
I'll be honest, I was mildly entertained for like about 30 seconds and then it just went on and it went on and it went on and yeah all of the moments you mentioned there like the the stephanie cameo where she was quite clearly using like a like a phone to film it and wasn't even there it, it, that was the thing those moments like that i think they were going for so bad it's good and it just didn't land with me i mean yeah like you said joe you've given it 0.25 on grapple i haven't rated it yet because i don't even because i literally watched it before we came live i don't even know what to give it like are people is anyone going five on grapple gareth like is there anybody like crazy because like the, the rate what's the rate the average average is just below three something like that so, yeah just last time i looked it was just below three but i think when i was like watching them come through live last last night there was there was a, i think i saw one five i think i saw like you know, like a, a four, a four point two five, and things like that. Mm, I thought I was, I, I, I was like, I was saying before, like I've literally just written a big page of negative notes, and I'd give it two point five, and I kind of feel like, <laughs> I kind of feel like there after Joe's tirade, I'm like, oh shit, I feel like I almost have to like defend my two point five now, but I haven't got much. You do. I haven't got much. Jay White problem, Gareth. <laughs> I said this before we record. We're like, I'll give Jay White like a two point seven five, and I feel like I've given him five because I'm the high man. You're the high man now, Gareth. You've got to defend this. Well, why? Why did you love it so much, Gareth? Why did you still <laughs> yeah. the Vince McMahon cameo and uh, all the wonderful creative spots? Oh man, I mean, what, what I was trying to think of when I was like Joe was saying there about like the worst thing he's ever seen. I've still got like flashbacks in my brain there to us watching WrestleMania and watching that Edge Randy Orton match, and I literally felt like my eyeballs were bleeding at the end of that match. Like it was like the worst thing I've watched in in so long. It just seemed like never ending. It went on forever. It was just ah oh, so boring, so terrible. At least this was like light-hearted, light relief. It was just like. It was it was a there kind of thing. It wasn't like it wasn't offending me too much kind of thing, and I was you know clearly not getting as wound up as wound up as Joe. I mean, I don't think I can go any more than that. I think I think for me, Joe's probably in the fortunate position that he hadn't just watched like Braun Strowman against Bray Wyatt before it, which I had to <laughs> through. Which I think if Joe watched that, like he's using the word amateur dramatics there, and then like they went full. Gargano Champa amateur dramatics at the end of that one, which was bad. like I was pulling like my eyeballs out at, at, at that one. So this one just felt like, oh yeah, this is, this just felt like some like daytime TV soap or something like that, as opposed to that the end of that one where they were legitimately trying to put on some kind of yes, this is this is credible drama or something like that. But um, I mean, I can't I can't disagree. Like you know, like, like, I think I think that's insulting to doctors. <laughs> I've seen doctors come on my TV after the one o'clock news a couple of times during the day during this, and doctors, I can tell you, is better than what they put on in that Money in the Bank match. I think the other thing for me is, I always think, like, wrestling is weird, right? But it doesn't have to be as weird as it as it is. And this was the kind of shit that makes me feel completely embarrassed to be a wrestling fan. As we've said a million times, the stuff where your dad walks in and he's like, what the fuck is this? This was the perfect encapsulation of the dad embarrassment match. Like they, 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 It's like they trade off it. It's like they find it funny. And if any of them progress lads or any of them NXT UK guys, the Wolfgangs, the, the Mark Coffees, uh, the Glenn Joes, if you like to talk about, everything's great. And, oh, what fun to take our minds off things. And, oh, is this hilarious that they're doing this in a corporate building that we've always dreamt of going to? Nah. Nah, 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 nah. You're going to kill your credibility even further by even touching this with a fucking barge pole because this was beyond bad. I think with me, like, I think one of the things as well is that, like, I, 
I mean, I had no expectation that it was going to be good kind of thing. Like, you know, I wasn't going, I mean, you're saying Die Hard. I was thinking I had the raid in my head and I was thinking like, oh, (laughs) you know, like, you know, there's, you know, another great building film there kind of thing. But I think for me, I was just thinking, oh, it's going to be shit kind of thing. And it wasn't good. You know, I think for for me, as it kind of finished and I was thinking about it, it was more like the missed opportunity for me. I thought they've got all this creative freedom, creative license to do something here. Actually, like, you know, put whatever creative bones they've got in their heads together and do something that's kind of like credible, use this different environment and use it positively. They've got all sorts of shit that can lean on there from like, you know, those cameos were just totally like gratuitous. There was nothing behind them at all. There was no reason for any of them to be there. They could have, they could have built, you know, they could have been, there could have been logic behind the reasoning for some of those, which would have improved it. Obviously, they had the opportunity to be like little Easter eggs of things, of like stuff from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, of little props and things like that that might have just like improved matters and things like that. But like, I don't know. It was it was there. It wasn't good. It was it was it was on my TV, but I wasn't getting as wound up about it as, as Joe. I don't, know what, uh, I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I'd say on, on your point about the cameos, that's the it's the lazy, you know, when they do like it's the 500th episode of Raw, it's the seven year anniversary, and they just wheel people out to the catchphrases like mm-hmm. that. It's so one note, like Johnny Ace is like, does he just roll around doing his catchphrase over and over again? What what is he? What even is he even supposed to be? Like Bruce Pritchard turning up? I saw people loving those moments, and I ah, just yeah, that's that's where it lost me. I think I'm okay with this as an idea, like. I don't think it's that's what makes it hard to race on grapple. I think like I I would I'd almost say like Gary, you're two and a half. Like it's almost like a, well, what else do you give it? Like is it not? It's not really a match, is it? It's a a, a, a movie is probably giving it too much praise, like like you said, Joe. But it's in principle, I wouldn't have wanted to watch like another empty arena match. Like I enjoyed you know Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre earlier on the show for for what it was. That's probably as good as you're gonna get in a WWE setting for a match, unless you know maybe you know some of the ones where Daniel Bryan's been in there on TV and maybe if he was given a bit more time. But you're not getting better than that. And I kind of get the decision. Okay, we might as well go with something different. But I do feel like within a month they've killed off this whole. This whole idea of doing like uh, movies or whatever they want to call it, like we all loved Undertaker and AJ, we all had a great time watching it, and we're a month later, and it's just like I don't want to see, don't want to see any of these things again. And that was kind of me watching it, like I say, I, I was willing to give it a chance, and then it was just like, ah, oh, it's more of this shit. Oh, none of this makes any sense. There's just there was nothing to it. There was just no depth to it. Even if like even Cena and Wyatt, which I didn't like. And I didn't think there was the depth in it that some of the people, you know, who really loved it claim was in there. But, you know, I could kind of see in some ways what people liked about it with the callbacks and such. Like, but I couldn't even see that here. I couldn't even give you that here. Like, I, yeah, I, I, if you force me, I'll probably give it a, maybe a two on grapple or 1.75, maybe. I don't know. But like, Mate, that's you... too fucking generous. <laughs> you reckon? <laughs> what did you give it, JP? Did you give it a one? I went one. I, think, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I saw it. I, I saw it before you guys. And I think you got the idea on what I thought in the main event. I think I sent you a message. just went, this main event is absolute wank. And it was mm. fucking awful. To the point where I kind of had to palate cleanse this evening by watching an amazing film with my son Zodiac. And I thought, that was Your great. son's called Zodiac? No. <laughs> it sounded like <laughs> that, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Zodiac <laughs> Big fucking... Brutus Beefcake fan, yeah. Um, <laughs> had to go along with that. I had to watch Zodiac to kind of as a palate cleanser for the, for this. 
I went one stars. There was a point, I'm looking at my notes during it. I can't disagree with any of what Joe said in it. I just said, did you, did anyone laugh during it? No. No. Was there, can you tell me any moves? Because I really I remember, I remember Lacey Evans waving that whatever it is constantly Mm -hmm. in the entrance and just wondering why you stood there just waving that. Like you're trying to wave the virus away. Like what you're doing. Were any of the cameos funny? No. Because there's no depth to them. There's no, there's no no nuance to any of them. A cameo has nuance. It has context. Well, there's a reason for it. They don't do that. They don't understand that. They have no concept of it. This is. On several levels, I was angry about this match. And I went one star, and now I'm thinking... And, and immediately, I have to say, I, I think I've been far too generous with that one star. Um, it we need is, the negative stars, mate. That's what we need. Uh, uh, just, a, just a couple of notes on this. Why does Otis move like he shit himself? Because Vince finds it funny. That's it. That's, the the, that's where we're at with this. I've never seen... like. Just the lack of overall creativity in this was completely shown up from beginning to end. The fight in the gym, is that not just unnecessarily dangerous as well? Think of the stuff that could go wrong in there. It was like like what Gareth said earlier on, you've got a chance to do something with this and they do nothing with it. And I think there was a point when two and a half minutes in, I just went, they're not going to stop this fucking music. And it reminded me of watching Phantom Menace because all they have is fucking music from beginning to end and it never ends and it never ends with this. And then they try and add dramatic music. Why? People get... Th- Do you know, I, there was a point where I kind of got distracted and this might be worth 0.25 a star where I thought, what's the deal with the trees? I can see the cars in the background. Oh, I thought, yeah, what was that about? And I just assumed it was the people driving past assuming... Why is there a couple of half-naked men fighting on top of a ladder? What the fuck is going on during this virus? You know, maybe all hell's broken loose. That killed about a minute. I was grateful for that minute to be killed in that way. Absolutely fucking awful. And I just, and when when AJ and Brian ran in, I just thought, ah, what I'd just give with a match with you, lads. Just phoning it in. Two and a half stars. I wouldn't give a shit. I'd fucking blow one of them for that. At that point in time, rather than watching this fucking garbage, mate. When it was absolute when it, shit. When it was those two outside of Vince's office, I was thinking, I bet those two have stood outside Ian Rotten's caravan together, mm. and now they're having to do this. Like getting back to IWA Mid South for a match in front of no oh. one. That's where they should fucking be. Not not outside that cunt's office, who's making tone deaf jokes about the coronavirus while he's at it. Like absolutely awful a point i made as well jp about that music i forgot about the music but it was like they were trying to be suspenseful and i put high suspense more like anti-suspense in my notes it reminded me of a version of do you remember the opening scene of speed where they're sorting out them lifts do you know the bit i mean where it's jeff daniels and uh keanu reeves and they've got to detonate a bomb and a lift and it's this really suspenseful scene. I mean, they kind of replay it later where Jeff Daniels actually ends up dying. Mm. Sorry, spoilers. It's a 26-year-old film at this point, <laughs> so whatever. But it's a great film. If you've not seen it, watch it. If you've seen it, re-watch it. Love it. It reminded me of, like, a bad version of that. And I think the problem is, because I'm so film-obsessed, I keep seeing all these film moments from it, and I keep comparing it to it, because I- I'm good. I'm used to good entertainment. I'm used to decent shit. You know what? The other day, 
I, I yesterday actually I was sorting out something for my upcoming wedding, which I've had to bloody postpone because of coronavirus, and. I put an episode of EastEnders and iPlayer in the background while I was making this website, right? That, the production values and the storytelling in that, and it's not good anymore, but it was far beyond this. Like, Ian Bill's son taking drugs. Terrible. Hilarious, though. Like, it was genuinely so bad, it was great. There was nothing in here that was so bad, it was great. And, you know... Some of the some of the people out there, I just question taste. Like Viper, who I think is a pretty good wrestler. I don't know about yous, but this is the best action movie I've oh. seen all year. <sighs> like, have you seen no action Bob? movies this year? Like, <laughs> I'm assuming so. Wolfgang uh, uh, tweeted that, like retweeted that, and put that he's auditioning for the sequel. And he's a man who's got a Han Solo tattoo. So I thought he knew his fucking action movies, but clearly his tastes have died over the years since he signed a contract with a certain company who he's desperate to get a push in. Can can I say something about it? Like, if you're doing a movie as well... Do a good one? Wouldn't you... Do a good one. Logically, (laughs) Asuka gets in the lift. What do you do? You're trying to win a race. You go to the very top. Right, didn't give you up to Luke. Roof. Right, I'll get off of this floor and I'll run up. Nah, I'll fuck about because she's deciding to act like she's in the fucking night garden for some reason, turning around like she's, I don't know, what's it, oopsie-daisy, whatever was from the time, turning around in circles, yabbering bollocks. Uh, I'm more worked up now than you are, Joe, about this. I really, and I sat through some of the earlier stuff of it, but this was the one, like, I know that the one saving grace of this show is it was two hours, 24 minutes. Mm. It should have been one hour, 50. (laughs) Having watched that Canadian stampede, two hours, four matches, absolutely fucking belting main event. And you see how far they've fallen in that time. And like, because for me, like Canadian stampede gets brought up as one of their best pay-per-views ever. I don't know where this ranks. This is one of the worst. Wow. It's, they are fucking shit. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the, the biggest thing for me, like, the main event, like, I I didn't like it, but I, I don't think I hated it with the, you know, the visceral feeling you took it. I just yeah, I think it's a general hatred of the company. Yeah. Could, and yeah. it's this that reinforces that hatred. Yeah. Well, I can, like, to, to that point, though, like, for me, the bit where I was like, fuck this company was when, like you said, Daniel Bryan and AJ are, are in Vince's office and you know, again, perfect comparison. That Stone Cold Steve Austin hits Vince with a stunner or a chair in that moment. They kind of quietly, you know, like they're the children. Vince is the grown up, and then they get treated like they get treated. But Daniel Bryan, in general, do you remember when this company, for Daniel Bryan's own health, stopped him wrestling for what three years? Was it something like that? Was it that long? Like that was a big issue for a while. In the scenario where like COVID nineteen is all over the place, he's got a pregnant wife at home. He's got a compromised immune system. And he's in there doing a food fight scene with 15 other wrestlers, or many of them are there, and brawling with all of them and, you know, sucking in their spit and sweat. Not even just a one-on-one match. He's in He's in a building with that amount of people. Like, oh, it's just, it's crazy to me. And to be honest, Daniel Bryan's a wrestler. Like, to be fair, you know, we I've mentioned Sami Zayn before, that, you know, he goes off on some of his, his rants on, on your Twitters, but then he's still on SmackDown every week. He sent himself home now. I respect Sami Zayn for doing that. I respect the hell out of Roman Reigns. You know, he came out this week, didn't he, and said that was more to do with his daughters than his own health. But 
Good for him for standing up for himself. Why is Daniel Bryan not standing up for himself? Daniel Bryan's contract's up in a couple of months. Like, is he just that loyal to the company that he's willing to pour himself through this shite? Because if you're Daniel Bryan, surely this is a wake-up call when you get on set and see what they're doing here and what they're asking you to do. He can't be having a good time. He can't think it's a good idea either. His wife can't be sat at home thinking it's a good idea for him to be doing. I just don't get it at all. That was the bit really that offended me most about the match, just seeing him in there and seeing his usage along with, yeah, the likes of your AJ and the other shite that was in there. But at this point, Vince McMahon sees him as a little guy who should be doing food fights, doesn't he? Whereas he doesn't see him as the guy who should be blocking uh, the coronation of the the, self-appointed star that is Roman Reigns. And, you know, I think there's so much dodgy shit that went on in regards to keeping him out. And when people say, oh, no, it's not at all, don't be ridiculous. Like, that's silly. That's silly. It's is it is it like, you know, American healthcare number one, American doctors, fucking shady motherfuckers, seriously, big business corporations. I've been watching devs on which I quoted earlier on iPlayer. Mm. Highly recommend it. Great show. And, Sticks uh, with you, know, you, doesn't it? It really does, and, you know, it gets you thinking, and it gets you, you know, having a bit of a mistrust in various people and in various people in influential positions, and if money's at play, and if you're the company's corporate fucking doctor, and you're sort of given a nudge and a wink to not verify or not okay a guy, isn't it coincidental that eight or nine doctors said that he was all right, and then one doctor who happens to be their doctor didn't all along? Yeah, that's a fucking coincidence right there. And then when his contract's coming up and he's making noises, he suddenly gets okayed. Yeah, that was dodgy shit right there. And then they kind of got him to the level they wanted him to after that point, and they got their own way. He's a guy, in Vince's mind, who should be having food fights because he's punched way above his weight by marrying someone who Vince probably thinks is mad for not getting with someone like Baron Corbin, you know, a self appointed <laughs> king. And he just doesn't get it at the end of the day. And, yeah, I, I hate seeing him in here. I absolutely hate it. Think about the other week, Benno, where we reviewed that match with Nigel McGuinness and then we're watching this bloke in a fucking food fight during a global pandemic. Yeah. I suppose at least he's not trying to give himself a concussion in this scenario, but still. <laughs> you know, you're True. right. Though. Like, I, Could have got I, one I, on I, the weights, and it's not beyond Corbin to fuck up that spot where he lobs the weight true. into the mirror. Hey, at least he didn't Benoit somebody this time. At least there's that. <laughs> Um, with like that with that edge or much. <laughs> I was gonna say like the, the Daniel Bryan's one. Yeah, that I really want to see. I really hope he does the right thing when his at least the right thing is as far as I'm concerned when his contract's up. Like he's uh, like even I think there's rumours this week of Sting of all people looking to go to AEW. I'd rather I'd rather see Daniel no, Bryan. No, no, thanks. <laughs> well, you know it's code. You know that's pure code. You know because he wants to be Sting, doesn't he? And he's just I, I kind of get it with the TNT tie and just don't have him wrestle. If you're gonna pay him to turn up and do a couple of angles, I can live with that. Um, but yeah, I'd, I think I'd rather see uh, see Daniel Bryan make that jump. Um, but I think yeah. on Joe's point there, though, as well about like the, the Daniel Bryan concussion. Like, I think he was going to talk about it next week. I don't, I'm not sure if any of you have, have watched it, but I saw a bit of that Undertaker documentary um, earlier today that, that came out last night. And like, hmm. like there's that bit after that match with um, where he was concussed against Brock Lesnar, and he's absolutely fucked. He doesn't know where he's at. He, to this day, he can't remember it is. And you're telling me that there's like some old fella there in his 50s who can hardly fucking move, who's had a concussion that can't remember shit. And oh yeah, he's cleared to turn around like 12 months later or 9 months later or whatever to perform because... Mate, you wrestled a SummerSlam that year? Yeah, he's worth millions to us and you know and and he's the undertaker so let's throw him out there kind of thing. Meanwhile, Daniel Bryan, yeah, yeah. 
you can't you can't perform even though like all these people are clearing you you're definitely double standards and something a bit fishy there mm. like I remember being uh, after a progress show. I mentioned this today. Like, um, sat in a in a pub with a couple of anonymous NXT UK contracted wrestlers who do like to de- defend indie wrestling. Um, and probably wouldn't sit in a pub with me now. Um, we also about talking to them about it, <laughs> and they were like, they were. I was going, you know, Daniel Bryan can't be any more injured than like. Any other, if you put any other wrestler who the test they put Daniel Bryan through, if Daniel Bryan has failed the WWE doctor, then surely, surely most wrestlers who've been wrestling for a good number of years, like just taking just taking body slams, just taking regular bumps, it shakes your brain, it causes all kinds of problems. Consider anybody who's ever been in a G1. Like I would consider all of those people to have a worse brain than Daniel Bryan, and they were just like, "Oh no, the WWE must have uh, must have uh, seen something with Daniel Bryan. There must be a reason why they're uh, why they've gotten rid of him." Um, although saying that, one of those anonymous wrestlers who I won't name did uh, also think that Cody Rhodes going to uh, Impact Wrestling that he was there as a spy from WWE. Uh, that that take age. And well. this guy's got a contract in WWE now. That's it, mate. Yeah, yeah. Please um, message us and just let us know who this is, <laughs> like because. <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> on that subject, Bello, can I just can I just follow up on my favourite NXT UK contracted wrestler and something else he's tweeted this week? Oh god. So he's desperate for William Regal to drop his pants once again for him so he can just keep stroking and, you know, doing his work. Um Wolfgang, like so many others, I'm not gonna do a Scottish accent, I can't do one. Like so many others, I've got William Regal to thank for the position I'm in. Well, that is contribution to our field of work. Who knows what condition it would be in? Many happy returns, sir. A fucking better one, mate, is what condition it would be in. (laughs) Maybe not for you, but for everyone fucking else. Yeah, not for you and the other 18 lads with contracts, but... The and the promoters. Could I just add in one thing with just with the Daniel Bryan contract stuff? Do you just suspect he's doing the whole, I've got two months to get through this. I am not going to have any kind of like arguments. Time added or anything on. Else. They'll add on the time. They'll keep me about. I will go along with what they're doing. He will have seen that he's got to work a couple of mini programs with a couple of guys like Drew Gulak and the like, who he, who he quite likes. And he's just thinking, I'm getting the fuck out of Dodge after that because this place is insane. Hope so. Hope so. Yeah, that's what I'm going to tell myself. I've got to tell myself that because otherwise the 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 alternative is just gone. Do you think the alternative is that he's he's maybe a bit thick? Mm. Sorry, guys. What was that? Do you think he's that motivated now? Like he's he's not getting any younger. He's got like second kid on the way. It's like this money. He can do matches like that where he's not taking any bumps. He's got a certain level within the company. Like, we've all got these kind of, like, mm. romanticised, idealistic views. Again, of, it? Of, 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 yeah, you know, like like Brian Danielson on work in the Indies and, you know, putting on these classic matches and all this that he was doing, whatever, 15 years ago. Like, he's a different fellow now. He probably just wants an easier life and just wants to, like, pay the mortgage, get a bit of cash in the bank and things like that. And as much as that's not great for, for us or what we want to see, like... I don't know, maybe we overestimate these people sometimes. And it is just a job at the end of the day, as you see, with like footballers or whatever, you know, actors who suddenly start to churn out shit films and things like that. They just want to pay the bills and get on with it and have an easy life. I always, I I get that argument with some of them, but he's always, one of his USPs is the pride he takes in his work and in his craft and in being a wrestler. Mm. And I kind of would like to believe more than most that, he takes it that seriously that for him, like, 
he would want to have those kind of. You like to think he saved his money, that he, you know he's not on the skag on the side or anything else. <laughs> all right, I fucking hope not. If not, Daniel Bryan, sort it out, mate. Go and see <laughs> someone. <laughs> Um, I think it but, fucked off last time. If that was the case, like, yeah. like for me, I'm, like when when he, when he, he resigned, I was like, oh, it was such maybe, a letdown after the way they treated him and like what he could have went on and done. And that just to me was just like the ambition's not there. Like he does is it, is just easy, you know, easy money and you know, like is a is a different fella now. That was that was the way I felt because he he should have fucked off after the way they treated him and like the opportunities were massive for him there or to go on the Indies and things like that or to go to Japan at that time and things, but. I, I, I I agree with you that he should have absolutely fucked off. I wonder whether or not he thought, here's big money and I've got a greatly reduced contract as well. And that that's the big money opportunity. And then he waits the three years and then he gets out. Once he's also had time to kind of work out this style that he mm-hmm. has, which seems to be very, not entirely different from the last style at points. But... He's certainly a bit, lot, obviously he's a lot more cautious about taking anything around the head. Maybe, you know, he's had that chance to do that for the last three years, made that big money. He's a pretty frugal guy. He lives a, lives a good lifestyle. And maybe this is the point now where he can take time off. I think for the likes of us, it's more of, it was us sort of following him in interviews and really closely following what he said around the time his contract was coming up last time and the sounds he was making about the type of matches he'd like to do and where he'd like to go. He was very openly talking about it, so it built up a lot of excitement for us. Yeah, we haven't heard, heard him say that stuff in a while. So, yeah, maybe there's not that same motivation. But what I'd love to, what I'd love in an ideal world... Benno, when's his contract up? Uh, I think it's like... He, he said that in an interview recently... I think it was like two or three months left, something like that. Okay. Um, although he did say, to your point, he did say also in the same interview what he wants is a relaxed schedule where he can basically work one match a month and do what he wants and do kind of do it that way. Mm. That's a nice sound again. Maybe like Gareth says, we're just we're just hopeful. It's it's me with you know hoping CM Punk goes to AEW all over again. Maybe I'm putting too much faith in him. My but it hope- is because of who he is in it. It's because he's Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Because like you say, the the way he comes across, how much he loves wrestling, that maybe we puts all these, we pin all these hopes on him. My hope is come August, he's out. He then says, right, I'm going to take a year off this, let my body heal again for a year, um, rest up a little bit and assess my options once, you know, the economy is fully open again and there are more opportunities. There's going to be opportunities for him regardless. But he rests, he gets himself out of the limelight for a little bit. Wrestling goes back to normal, let's say, in a, in a year's time. And then he makes a decision on what he wants to do and then he decides to maybe go to an AEW or a New Japan where he can work some sort of relaxed schedule, almost like a Jericho in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I like to think he's got that same motivation as someone like a Jericho, who clearly loves wrestling, loves the craft, and loves being involved. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But let, let's. I'm just going to carry on hoping, because I, I, I don't want to follow the CM Punk example. I think he's a very different character to CM Punk. I think CM Punk grew to kind of resent wrestling. CM Punk, for me, is like the Val Kilmer of wrestling, in many ways. <laughs> I, I don't think Daniel Bryan's very Val Kilmer. I think he's more like a great character actor who's got leading actor potential, if anything. Good way of putting it. Um, I suppose, uh, back to this pay of view. I mean, we've ripped that main event uh, to pieces. I don't know if there's much more to uh, to pick up off the ground on that, but 
I don't want to say was there any other highlights, but you know, considering you two both seeing the whole show, and I've seen, I did see the uh, the Drew McIntyre Seth Rollins match. I think I'm probably the high man out of the three of us on it. Um, I was toying between three point two five and three and a half on Grapple, which is a lot for an empty arena match. I do think that's kind of my ceiling for a WWE empty arena match. Maybe I think for me it was like I was kind. Of, I'm not into the Seth Rollins character. I was watching the first five minutes. I just I'm not invested in either these dude, these dudes. I can see them putting the work in, but it, it's just not for me. But I would say they kind of got me with the near falls, like the way they kind of upped the pace in the last five minutes or so. They grabbed me with some of those near falls, and I thought it was actually one of the best performances I've seen from Drew McIntyre, uh, especially mm-hmm. considering it was an empty arena match. And you know, again, I, I'm never going to be sold on Seth Rollins, but I thought he was good for his part as well. Um, I don't know, am I the high man or not giving it three and a half? Uh, either of you go anywhere near that? I went three. This was like, mm. for me, the clear and obvious highlight on the show. And I thought it was fine. I thought, I thought, I thought it was, it was a good match. And it was the best I'd probably seen of Seth Rollins in quite some time. And I enjoy, do you know what? I quite like Drew, Drew McIntyre. I, I, you know. You want better for him, don't you? I do want better for him. I kind of, it sounds weird to say I feel sorry for him because obviously he's the pushed guy in the company, but he kind of in a company with better creative would really be able to do something with him. And he's also different in the sense that I, I kind of enjoy his matches. Yeah, there's a ceiling to them, but mm. you know, he is someone who works hard. He's got a very good, easygoing charisma about him. There's a lot of benefits for him. It's just that he's with a company whose creative is in the fucking toilet. And so he's only going to be able to do as well as he can do, given the circumstances. And the timing is also awful as well for, mm. for like, for, for, um, COVID-19 and everything else. And in those regards, like, it will always be thought of probably as a failure at this point in time, given the TV ratings and everything else. But none of that is on him. As a job, as a world champion, I kind of like it. I enjoyed this match like you. Towards the end, I kind of bet on, bit on more of the near falls. And considering some of the earlier stuff, particularly like the, ma- the matches before, this was like an oasis in a <laughs> desert where rather than sand, it was like fucking broken glass. Because it was painful. <laughs> Wow. High praise. Uh, <laughs> was this a high praise of the show for you as well, Gareth? Was this, was this worth staying up for? I don't know. I think I watched a different match to some people because I've like been seeing loads of praise about this online and things yeah. like that. And like, it's good. I, I, don't, I, I don't watch WWE like anymore other than pay-per-views when I'm uploading the app kind of thing. And then like, so then I've, I've been hearing stuff about Seth Rollins as a heel and things like that. And then the first thing that I've seen was him do some shitty promo before his match, like a couple of things before, where he's banging on about to Drew McIntyre. This isn't your company. This isn't your industry. This isn't your show. And he's just sort of stopped short of saying, this isn't your brand kind of thing. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, God, it was absolutely turgid. It was absolutely fucking awful. And then, like, and then they like, came to the ring and I was thinking, is he like? Is he a heel? His music changed to this like heelish stuff, and then like during the match, like he dominated the match, and I just saw nothing about his working style change at all. It was like I think I was like thinking, what is he doing? That's heelish here, kind of thing. And there was there was one point where I think he he didn't break and he threw some punches. There was another where he held a submission a bit longer, but the rest of it was just dives and springboards and 
superplex falcons arrows and you know it was just Mm. it it was exactly the same style there was nothing there was no like nuance to his like facials or anything there was nothing heelish that he was doing and i was just and like he's just dominating this match by doing all these flashy moves and controlling it and then nearly getting the win with the curb stomp and things and then drew pulls out at the end and i was thinking hang about like is he a heel kind of thing and then there was obviously that stuff with like the he didn't use the chair and then they shook hands at the end and i was thinking am i have i been like misreading this like like when i'm catching up on like rewind of Raws and things like that is he, is he not a heel is he is he a heel and it just left me like a bit confused and i was like oh yeah it was an all right match kind of thing it was like a you know gentleman's three but i, I think this pissed me off more than more than the uh <laughs> the, the last, to be honest like I did, I did i literally finished it and i was just like what the fuck is this like what's the point of this i thought he was the number one heel in the com- like company and he's just not changed at all i think one of the things that really like triggered with it with me is because Earlier on, there was that Bailey Tamina match, and I was like, oh, and I, Bailey came out, and I was thinking, like, oh, naturally you think, fucking hell, they dropped the ball with her, and now she's a heel, and she's so not a heel, sort of thing. It's not what she should be, and stuff. But in the match, I was like, oh, I kind of bought into it a bit. She was like, been a bit nasty. She was doing like little aggressive things. She was doing like really good facials and just doing like horrible little bits to, and to you know, Tamina and things where. I was thinking, why the hell am I invested in Bailey against Tamina here while ba- like Bailey's a heel? And then when Rollins just come out, dude, like, and literally just getting nothing from him, it was just all just flashy moves and babyface shit. I was just like thinking, God, he's not even as good as Bailey at being a heel. Kind of <laughs> like, why the fuck is this guy like so revered? I don't know, confused. Yeah, I agree with you on Seth Rollins on that point because I've always, that's always been my thing. Like, he was a te- he's a he was a terrible babyface. Like how unlikable was he? He's trying to position himself as like this this top guy, and pretty, people pretty much turned on him immediately. But I kind of had this feeling. You reminded me of how I felt about him. You know, when they were doing the authority stuff, and he was supposed to be. He was trying to position himself as the top heel then, and I did kind of have that. Burn it down, mate. Oh, yeah, great times. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like wrestling as like a basically wrestling as a babyface. And from his promo point of view as well, he's a bad heel promo and he's a bad babyface promo. And, it, and the, I think the, the, the temptation is constantly to turn him to the other and think it's going to work out better. That's the thing. With I actually think he's he's good in ring Seth Rollins, but the reason he never breaks through to that next level is that limitation that he, that he just he can't. I don't think he can pull off either role, you know, above average to be honest. Um, and that's mm. where he, for me, you'll never hear from me is like. Highly rated Seth Rollins. There's no self confidence in that in those promos. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I he's never think, had it, has he? Going back to like the ROH days, I think I don't think he's ever got any. I also think, and people might get offended by me saying this. He sounds thick mm-hmm. when he talks. I think he sounds like an idiot. Like he doesn't sound like he's a he's like I don't know confident. He doesn't sound like he's got a very wide vocabulary. If anything, like. I don't know. There's just not, there's nothing there when he talks. Like you think of the Shield days, it was always Ambrose who was the the promo guy, and I was amazed that they went with Rollins as the heel guy to turn on the turn on the faction where they went with him because you were going to have to cut promos in that position. Yeah, it, mm. he's never been a good promo at any point. I don't think he's ever improved. And I think one of the other problems is he doesn't come across as genuine or believable yeah. in any of those roles, really. So, yeah, what, no interest in the bloke. T- tell me about the guy. What's his personality? What about him? What's his motivation? He's a messiah, JP. We he wants to burn it down. We've never, we've <laughs> never really found out. And it's wow. the thing that it misses is that, like, like locker room leader, of, mate. It's the personality. Jericho's a locker room leader. Look what he's doing next week in terms of the match he's having. That's a locker room leader. 
And that's someone with a bit of balls and a bit of credibility about the place. Mm-hmm. Rather than that fucking coward. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah, him you, off, you... Seth Rollins. <laughs> Couldn't give a shit. You yeah, made was... Spoken like the grapple locker room leader right there, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, like, on on this matter, maybe I just enjoyed it as, like, a. I wasn't really thinking about it in a heel babyface world because it was just a. It was just a work rate match. And to your point as well, like, you do the handshake match thing at the end of the the match as well, which was a a note I had where it's like, come on, Seth, look after your character a bit, mate. Like, okay, yeah, Drew McIntyre gets to be this, you know, this honourable champion who's taken on all comers and is shaking the hand of the man who he just he just fought. But I did think that Seth Rollins just stood in the ring like the biggest putts. Like, what's next for his character? He doesn't look after that at all. And yeah, maybe from a work rate point of view, I'd stand by three and a half. But yeah. Probably not actually the best thing for Seth Rollins as a character to be in a match like this and to wrestle that way and to act that way post-match too. Drew did as well in the circumstances what he could do with up against that character as well. And I think he didn't come off any worse off, and that's the most important thing. Mm. What was the uh, the grapple average on this one, guy? Do you know? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you're sleeping, mate. I must do this, don't you? <laughs> I just assume you've got them in front of you. I feel like you've got you've got like a big spreadsheet on your wall that's got every single grapple. Why haven't you got like framed pictures of these up on the walls around <laughs> you that you could constantly reference? Three, 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 nine, better. Good lad, good lad. Oh, see, that's, that is, yeah. I suppose that I'm actually slightly above that. Um, yeah, but I've seen I've seen people go crazy on it. Like like I said, John and Way seem to really like it. Uh, I think Meltzer really liked it as well. Uh, I liked it as a match, and I think we all agree best thing on the show, but obviously yeah. to, uh, to varying degrees there. Uh, I don't know, JP, Gareth, anything more on, on that or like the rest of the show from what you've seen? Is it even worth going into detail on that Bray match? I kind of want, want JP to explain that Bray Wyatt no. match. No. Benefit, uh... It was all <laughs> referencing back to him having that black mask, which I actually bought. Joe might remember this from shopzone.com. I think I gave it to my youngest son. Was that when you decided to have a spree of just wasting your money? It, these things were like £1.50 each, Joe. When you, you know bought, that? Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's when I bought you that en- Enzo Amore t shirt, didn't I? Which I never wore. Yeah, that's the and, idea. And you and, bought your Undertaker Dead Man in cap. That's still going. And that's that all is, right. It's an awful cap. I don't care. And the gold dust mask as well. Which I've still and occasionally put on the works team's call. No, the Bray Wyatt match was... Yeah, occasionally. If you keep your eye out for it. Um, okay. Um, yeah, that Bray Wyatt match was... It, it was bad. It was actively bad when they were having a match. It was, it was really fucking awful. And then it went all Amdram with this storyline and he thought he'd re he thought he'd rediscovered himself and and it turns out he didn't fucking surprise surprise who couldn't see that coming and all it's building up is Strowman versus the fiend which who wants to watch that T- show me the person who's pumped about that who's saying fucking get in i've sat through a lot here but i wanted to see this Strowman white feud I, I know one person who will want to see that do you know who you're going to say Matty surely Wolfgang. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I thought that's doing down Matty a lot there for that to be the case. I <laughs> um, will be excited as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, the, the only thing, the, the only thing of this was just the fantastic metaphor at the end, as as Braun took off the mask 
and stamped on the mask on the floor, which was like just a perfect metaphor for Vince's views on COVID there and uh, taking the mask off and stamping on it, really, because uh, yeah. let's get in this building and let's infect everybody and see how long we can prolong this for. <laughs> but Vince is applying his hand sanitizer. Ha, ha, ha. So we're all safe, mate. Yeah, I was I was waiting for him to whip out the uh, the needle full of Domestos, but unfortunately that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking at the state of him now, he's picked the wrong cup and he's fucked himself. I'm just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, not not a even though it was short, not a show people should rush out to see. And we kind of it's one of them. There's nothing else to watch right now. Is there? It was almost like a social experiment. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, Joe, you watching that main event? Are you I done am- that? I'm finding plenty to watch. Don't you worry. I've been <laughs> whip since that Canadian Stampede review. I've been whipping through these '97 Raws. My oh, yeah. God, are they good? Like when we started watching them for that show, I was thinking I'd I'd be all over Nitro. I'd have the TV over straight away. I said it on the show. Tell you what, I wish we watched the Raws after Canadian Stampede rather than before. These ones leading to SummerSlam 97 are so good. As soon as Brett gets back and they ramp up the Canada stuff, as soon as Michaels is in there being a prick as well, <laughs> you've got the Austin dude love stuff. Oh, it's so good. Like some of the some of the best wrestling TV I think I've ever seen. I think it sort of reminded me of how good weekly wrestling TV can be mm. when it's booked really effectively and you've got really over, really interesting characters with lots of depth. Something that WWE has none of now. And I honestly think I turned off watching a Raw today. Uh, it was the one where they did the flag match. You remember the six-man flag match oh, yeah. in Nova yeah, Scotia? Yeah. that one. I've seen that before. Um, but it was that one. I turned that off and then watched UFC. And I think one of the reasons I just couldn't enjoy UFC was because I was loving those Raws so much. And in comparison with these hot crowds in Canada... They were so much better. And just talking about WWE now and watching about these 97 Raws and seeing Austin in his absolute pomp, seeing Bret Hart fired up, seeing Vince like being open-minded and willing to play his part. It was that Raw episode where Bret slapped Vince at the commentary desk when they really, really hint at Vince being, being the boss man. Mm. Uh, wow, the boss man being the boss. It'd be a bit weird if he was the big boss man, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, and... Yeah, you look at Vince there and think about this open mind he's got or, you know, for once in his fucking life compared to his closed mind now that's, you know, obsessed with his whims and obsessed with changing things on the fly. And here you've got these focused TV shows that are so much fun to watch. You've got these promos where you feel like anything can happen. It's exciting. Like, Shawn Michaels dropped some bombs in his promo in Canada and his promo in San Antonio. The man's an absolute prick. He looks like a 90s porn star when he's out in that ring. And one thing I remembered watching this is Shawn Michaels has never had good dress sense. He went from dressing like he was a porn star of the 90s uh, to, to wearing like Jesus T-shirts when he came back in 2002 to wearing hunting gear. Like He's had some interesting kind of fashion trajectories and sort of exploration of Shawn, if anything. So, yeah, but honestly, I don't know if you guys have carried on watching these roars from that period, but Gareth, also thank Thank you for the WWE Network login, which I've been using to watch it. I thought everyone was using Andy Ogden, so they know Gareth was going as well. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> were you a fan of, like, we, um, were you a WWF or a WCW guy at this point, Gareth, like, uh, in your fandom? Because we've done 97 WWF and WCW, and spoiler, we're going to be looking at some uh, ECW soon as well. Where was your loyalty at that point? I mean, I... 
I was a WCW guy right from like 1990 through. Um, I would say it was probably at like this point that I was just sort of starting to switch the other way, really. And just mm. like, like, although I'd always like watched WWF, I just, I don't know, I just didn't buy into it as much as I did with, with, with WCW. But certainly this time and like this Bret Hart, like if I think about like the best wrestlers or the best periods of wrestling of like of my life like i love Bret Hart at this time i just think he was absolutely fantastic he was just he was absolutely gold on the mic and you, know, you always get these people who say brett can't cut promos and things i'll, I'll put these promos up against up against anybody really for the the like vitriol that's in there with them you know that real sense of emotion you like believe everything it is saying and then like backing it up in the ring and everything like that absolutely uh, absolutely love this time period and then obviously with that naturally butting heads with Austin at this time and that that character coming through and that being somebody I'd love from WCW days kind of thing now getting that big stage and getting that bit more freedom and character as, as well oh, oh, brilliant brilliant times it's interesting as well because watching it I can see why so like, I started off being like oh, I just wish I was watching Nitro again and then I, I'm watching this thinking right I could see how I would have switched at this point in time because you've got like Hogan Luger bollocks going on the other yeah. side and then you've got like this Brett and Austin stuff. You've got Michaels throwing the mix as well. You've got like Vader having great ma- matches on TV. There was a Vader Flash Funk match, which was awesome. That's the next week, there was a Vader Ken Shamrock match, which was fucking ridiculous. Like, these, I honestly think the month after Canadian Stampede through the SummerSlam is one of the best months of television and best months of wrestling WWE have ever produced. It is so, so good. Sorry, Ben, I interrupted you there. No, that's right. I'd rather talk about 1997 though, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> I, was, yeah, I, you... I was thinking of how I ended up switching, and I think it was that main event scene. Mm. That main event scene in WWF compared to what it was in WCW, and you hit the nail on the head. If you don't like Hogan and stuff, you look at Austin and Hart and Michaels, and you're thinking, this is infinitely more interesting. Yeah. yeah, once the bell goes in WCW, that main event scene, as much star power as there was, think about that Hogan-Rodman tag match we watched on the Bash of the Beach show we reviewed, and then you compare that to the Canadian Stampede yeah, match, yeah. and then you compare that to what you get in Brett Taker at SummerSlab as well, which I think up to that point is probably Undertaker's best ever match, and yeah, it's a different fucking ball game at that point, so you can always see like the wheels turning it and there's, it feels like there's real effort on the part of the WWF at this point to actually do something good I'm even enjoying shit on the undercard you've got gang warfare kicking off you've got Ivan Putsky and Jerry Lawler tying <laughs> up as well what gang warfare I've ever met you. I don't think I've ever met anybody who enjoys that as well look you're, you're a good friend of Matty Edwards look, oh yeah uh, true <laughs> you know we'll get him back on here at some point but I'm sure he I'm sure he loves a bit of gang warfare I think my brother <laughs> likes gang warfare as well Oh, there's more Lost Berry Quest fans than I thought it ever existed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like to what you said before, Gareth. Okay, if it's turning like a hardcore WCW fan like you, it makes me feel better about like that. You know, going on record to say 1997 is a great year for WWF because, as we said on that podcast at the start, I really was starting to doubt myself. And then you know the Nation stuff was really good. I enjoyed the Kane Taker stuff, and then you know Canadian Stampede was just unreal um, as a show. Uh, I'm actually tempted now to go in and watch like that next month or so. I'd, I'd like to um, compare it with those Nitros from that period as well. I assume Rodman doesn't stick around at that point. Uh, I assume he's gone, uh, but I don't even know what they focus on next with uh, with Nitro. I can't remember. Can, can you from the time, Gareth? Um, oh God, no! I'm 41, Ben. It's, it's it's Hogan Luger, I think, isn't it? 
Because doesn't oh, he beat yeah. doesn't yeah. he beat Rackin and beat him just after Bash of the Beach? Bash, like, is that right? Yeah. On a on a nitro, uh, yeah, yeah, they throw it away on there. It is a it's a great moment, but it's a bit odd. Um, like like you're saying, the Hogan just seems to love Luger, doesn't he? Loves putting him over. Yeah, uh, yeah I have to watch it. I was watching more of the. Um, the, what you call it, the the last dance on it uh, on Netflix again this week. So it's got me uh, in the mood for that period of the time again. So the, uh, the sooner we can uh, we can do ECW, the better. Um, but yeah, I don't know where we're going to go there. Should we, just, should we just do another 1997 episode? I don't really want to talk about anything more current at this point. Oh, I live I'm there like... at the minute. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I am living there, mate. Watching the development of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like I tell you what, going from that Spring Stampede show we did and watching some WCW from that period, where I think he's a perfectly good wrestler, and seeing how he develops and the charisma and the layers and some of the body movements that he adds to his to his work. I think Austin gets so underrated as an in-ring worker at times. I think we forget just how good he was in the ring and just how much charisma there was to go into those in-ring performances. Like we talk about the character, the in-ring if you ask me it was fucking awesome as well yeah he was great and yeah and think of the years we missed out on as well because of the injury and stuff um yeah i'm in the mood now we'll have to deep dive back into maybe late 97 at some point and uh revisit when it all starts to go wrong in uh, 98 and 99 mate i'm stuff. sticking with these 97s i'm going i'm definitely going to go through to ground zero and watch that sean taker match because it's been it must have been 18 19 years since i've seen that match i reckon I remember loving it. Like that was until the Hell in the Cell. Obviously, that was one of my that was mm. one of my favorite match between them too. Like it's just, just, just generally like Sean. It is still at his peak, and like we said on the podcast, Undertaker at a point where it felt like the shackles were off and he could actually work. Um, yeah, I do remember loving that one. Great, this nineties stuff, isn't it? Amazing. <laughs> Can't wait for our next nineties flashback episode. I'll be happy here on there. <laughs> well, speaking of nineties, uh, kind of, uh, or speaking of retro content, at least maybe we'll do a UWF episode at some point. Did, uh, did everybody oh. watch uh, Dark Side of the Ring? This feels uh, right up your street, JP. With uh, you're a big fan of the biggest bastards in wrestling. I think, uh, oh yeah, Abrams is up there. Uh, I don't know if he's a bastard. He's your typical wrestling carny. Yeah, he seems like if you're watching him from a distance and you haven't got any sort of certainly any financial connection to him, he might be a laugh to look at from a distance. He's a fucking state though, isn't he? As a result of this show, he's like an unhinged Paul Heyman. He's like a Paul Heyman with no focus. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I actually ended up thinking he's like a kind of wrestling promoter version of Gigi Allen, who I don't know if you're aware. From the punk band. Yeah, from the, the punk, punk band. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. One and then who, there was that documentary. That's right. And he ended yeah. up punching his way through a crowd, then ended up in a hotel and killed himself. He used to lob shit at fans. Literal he used to shit. like Lovely. sexually assault fans on stage and stuff and like fuck chickens on stage and all sorts oh, yeah there's there's I, I haven't seen that documentary in a very very long time but i might have to go back and have a look at that now yeah herb abrams is a bit like that really isn't he um he's a fucking state he really is he is when they started saying about him it was like or oh, is it b brian blair says it best he goes he died what he loved doing, cocaine and hookers. And that pretty much sums it up. I found that funny. I, I wasn't a fan of this documentary on the whole. Like, Not me neither. I, I really wasn't. It didn't get any depth on Herb Abrams and why he did all this and whatever, like how the financing was never really explained and things like that. So I think it kind of lacked a lot of details. 
they love the tabloid wackiness, and that's clearly yeah. the thing that sold them on this. And they've done it again. And I kind of didn't have any expectations of that. But as a story, it never holds any weight. I mean, I don't know, Gareth, you remember from the app to Mags, they talk about UWF. And it seemed exciting in that way because it was something new and different. And, you know, people like Steve Williams and the rest, you know, you think, oh, okay, I know him. And I'd heard of who Cactus Jack was. So that kind of stuff was exciting. But it never stood a cat's chance in hell, did it? It was never going to happen. So when I talk about the competition stuff, I'm kind of glazing over. I'm going to the non-fan. They might go, oh, this could have been a really big company. But if you've got any kind of, if you're aware of any of the history around that point in time, this is the same as MECW dying in 2002 before Ring of Honor and TNA get started. It's just a jumped up indie run by a fucking lunatic. And then he dies and it ends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> something up there, JP, to be fair, no one needs to watch yeah. it now. <laughs> Honestly, I would say from a documentary point of view, what I've been noticing this series, and I meant to say it last week, because as much as I enjoyed last week's one, um, I felt like after half an hour, they've told the story. And yeah. they've, on a lot of these episodes, the last 15 minutes, and especially in this one, just really dragged for me. I didn't feel like they had... The story has 45 minutes of material, but I don't think they had 45 minutes of material. Yeah. It's kind of what happened with the Jack one as well. Um, have you been watching the whole series, Gareth? Were you a fan of this one? Did you know the story? Um, it's still it's still an easy watch, isn't it? I'm not saying don't watch it, but I did think this was maybe the most lightweight of, um, of all the episodes so far. Yeah, I've watched them all. I watched all of the first series as well, and they're just... They just don't do it for me. I mean, the Benoit one naturally like stands out. You know, I cried multiple times across those two episodes, and I think it was just they had a more full story there. They had a better, obviously, like people who they interviewed and things like that. And there definitely was that like more emotional connection. But the rest of them, they're like, I'm going to watch them because it's wrestling and it's stories that I know, and it's just a bit of pulp entertainment to me. It just reminds me of like if you're off work and there's just some like in the afternoon on BBC or ITV, some little like little sort of one hour thing about some murder that happened in Norwich in 1986 or something like that, you know, and there's just some quite lighthearted view on it, no depth on it or something like that. Whereas like, I don't know, we're in an environment where we've got all this time off and I'm watching like last dance and I've just watched that Michael Vick 30 for 30 and things like yeah. that. And I'm then just like watching things like this. And I'm just like, it's just, it's just got no fucking legs underneath it at all. Like to me, it's just so like, there's, zero depth they don't put the research into anything they take everything at face value they're just like like you say benno there's probably about like 20 minutes of material or half an hour of material they're stretching out to to an hour and it's fine and it's little stories that you know and things like that but i don't it's not anything that i'd be like saying to anyone oh you've absolutely got to watch this it's fantastic or anything like that it's just a a nice nice 45 minute hour to just have on in the background for me yeah, like, yeah. I, I can't disagree with any of the criticism at all, but I, I did enjoy this. Um, but I think what I think at this point, I've sort of just taken it for what it is. Mm. And I think it almost feels like the Benoit one. They kind of blew their load on heavy emotional stuff. Mm. And then they just went, ah, oh, but we got into this because we like these fun shoot interviews. So let's just go down the more tabloidy route later on. Um, and this felt like it was the ultimate kind of demonstration of that. Like, I think the the biggest failure of the series was the Jimmy Snooker, Nancy Argentino episode, which we spoke about earlier. Um, and I completely agree with all the points you made there. And I think JP and Benno, you made some great points about there was no real explanation as to where that money was from. Why was 
constantly fucking hookers and snorting like yeah. Scarface style amounts of coke. Um, it was very much like played for kind of laughs and wackiness at times. But I think because I didn't know that much about UWF, like my knowledge of UWF was from Mick Foley's book. Um, and I thought Mick Foley was actually quite good on the documentary as an interviewee. And basically, I wanted to hear more from him, but I wanted to hear more about the UWF generally, and I didn't feel they really got into that. I found the Andre bit quite fascinating, because that's a bit of the story that the WWE have conveniently missed out, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Vince's best friend, and Stephanie's, he was my friend. Fuck off, you fucking <laughs> lying bitch. You've sat on a big bloke's knee a couple of times, and... Oh, just whatever. Add that to your narrative. Um, and yeah, WWE have never ever mentioned the fact that he turned up at this show and they got him back, basically. Kind of like Undertaker and Inside the Ropes and then getting him back as well. Um, so I found that kind of interesting. But yeah, they did go down that pulpy, tabloidy route again. One thing I did find interesting was I didn't know hardly any of the interviewees. Usually I know everyone is on this show. And I was like, who the hell, are, who the hell is this Steve Ray guy? Like, it's not <laughs> Stevie Ray, that that's for sure. Yeah. Um, Sunny Beach, I think I'd heard of. But yeah, the UWF generally, I would have liked just more about. Like, I'd never seen any of the footage. I'd only read about it in Foley's book before. So seeing more of it would have been in, within my interest, if anything. See, I love that. Like when, when Steve Ray was on and before his thing came up, I was like staring at him and I was thinking, I know who this guy is. And it was like really bugging me who it was. And then it like flashed up and... Like, for me, it was just, you'd always see them in, like, the PWI charts at the back where it'd have, like, the top ten wrestlers list and you'd have, like, Steve Williams, Cactus Jack, like, Paul Orndorff, Steve Ray. And, like, it just used to be this name and it'd be in amongst them names. And I used to think, oh, Steve Ray, he must be, like, he must be, like, a like top wrestler or something like that. And oh, he'd yeah. be there in the PWI 500 and things like that. And then I think when the... Um, I think when I first, the, the Ebony experience with like Stevie Ray and Booker T or, you know, came through, I just assumed it was him like kind of thing who, who it was at the time. And like, you know, because they're just names in lists in PWI that yeah. you see. So you never see in the footage, but I'd be there like uh, absolutely absorbing all of that. So just even just seeing all those people who were there from the, from those lists, that was that was that was fantastic for me. You got me thinking, though, as part of these shows, wouldn't it be nice if they just sort of focused on some of these promotions? Because I'd quite happily watch an hour documentary about the UWF itself and that didn't get sidetracked by we've done a reenaction with a bloke and we can this time we can pixel out a dick that's done in blurred film anyway, hidden over by shadows. And it's like, or you could just show some stuff from the Blackjack Brawl. I'd be interested in seeing what that Cactus Jack Jimmy Snooker match in front of 300 people at the MGM Grand was like. I'd be kind of curious to see that. But this would, this for me felt like, you know, we're going to do a tabloid documentary on global. I'd be like, yeah, I might get something from it. But fuck me, is there an audience for this? I am, though, glad that Vice have got an audience for it because of all the documentary series, hopefully in a normal, in some kind of normal world, I'd like to see a second series of that wrestler's documentaries from Damon Abrams. And I think it's probably a good sign as well that it, that the shows are doing well and that they've got an open mind towards wrestling content. Looking at you, New Japan. 
<laughs> I think with um, the guy from Fucked Up, what was his name again, JP? Damon Abrams. That's it. I think uh, he was much more of a sort of engaged in touch wrestling fan than the guys yeah. who are making these are. Um, like they're clearly fans, but I don't know. They seem to fall for a lot of stuff, whereas mm. there's real depth with uh, the wrestler series as well. Like you think of the, some of the stuff in Japan with some of the wrestlers, oh, especially yeah. the deathmatch episode, the stardom episode. Like he explores the weird and the wacky, but he adds some depth to it. He tries to get to the bottom of the wrestler's stories. I don't feel like outside of the Benoit episode, there's really been that. But as much as I enjoyed Dr. D. David Schultz, like there wasn't that like great in-depth exploration of like his mindset, his character, I don't know. I don't know if it's the question technique. I don't know if there's a general directive from the from the television company. I don't know what it is, but yeah, there, there could be more to these episodes. As much as I did, I don't know, still kind of enjoy this. To ask as well, have any of you guys ever watched this UWF stuff? Because I've never seen any of it. I haven't. No. I've seen bits of fury oh, of course and i've got a copy of that pay-per-view that i'm very curious to see oh man i'm <laughs> gonna turn up at the google drive this week of but, course yeah. you're not surprised by this, this is to be expected okay. when did you watch this stuff oh no i only had a look oh god this would have been it was on youtube they had like all uwf fury hour stuff a few years back did it like you can oh, also right. play after you watch the latest MLW episode or something. Is that what it is? <laughs> I'll let you in on a secret. I haven't seen MLW this week. Oh, my JP, I was saving the last five minutes for that. Oh, gutted. Saving it now for when things are going to get really desperate. I'm going to get... wait to drop it in. We won't get people turning off in the last five minutes this week, hopefully. Well, then. that's it then. <laughs> Give up I the do see those ghosts there. <laughs> I'll still be watching to the bitter end. Go court. <laughs> to... Is, is there anything good in UWF? Like, was it booked well? Was was there anything to see? Uh, not really, in the sense that it was sold off of people who were reasonably big in the 80s with, a, with the kind of roster that you're kind of expecting. I mean, in some ways, if it's closer to anything, it's kind of closer to early ECW, as much as anything else. Um, it's not... It, it's It's very small time from what I've seen on the Fury Hour. I remember about the pay-per-view, them drawing only about a 1,000, and it did very badly. I can remember, like, kind of seeing pictures of it and then looking at it. It was always something I was interested in, and I've always enjoyed looking at wrestling history anyway. Um, but as wrestling, it's very kind of bog-standard 80s, early 90s stuff. You stick PN News and Van Hammer in there, they fit in. <laughs> is Tuesday night the blackjack broad eye for you, JP? You putting it up, putting it aside for that, are you? <laughs> and, and over, a couple of oval teams, the blackjack brawl. The blackjack brawl. The show you've wanted to see for what? What is it? What year was that show? Like ninety three? Um, is that when I say it's? I thought it was ninety one. Oh, okay, ninety one. It, it comes back in. JP Edna. <laughs> there at the end. <laughs> uh, Encyclopedic, like Gareth. You read those aptomags, we fucking studied those things. <laughs> I studied those top ten lists. And like you, I probably thought, yeah, this Stevie Ray's probably as good as this Kawada bloke that they've been fucking nattering on about. <laughs> but I tell you what he hasn't got. He hasn't got that surfer body, has he? He's just got these yellow and black trunks, and he needs to fucking sort himself out. 
my equivalent to that was like the power slam days where i'd do the same thing because i didn't have the internet mm-hmm. and you'd literally read the same magazine for a full month cover to cover and then oh, just yeah. read it again like every time and yeah I, maybe i didn't have my interest peaked by those kind of names but it was the kind of the first time i saw like a like a hayabusa or, or names like that like where ecw was that's it it sticks in your brain doesn't it and then when you actually see it it can either be the greatest thing in the world or a letdown when you see the real steve ray in real life uh, but yeah, these these young kids don't uh, don't get that that the uh, the magazine world we all lived in. Um, <laughs> indeed, I suppose uh, JP didn't have any MLW talk to go. I'd save the last five minutes for that. anyone got anything else they want to mention before we go. We got, we got time to fill, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> well, Gar- Gareth's got a big announcement for us, isn't he? Oh, oh, go on. Have I? Yeah. <laughs> oh. I was going to say that's news to me as well. That's oh, is it? Oh, fuck it off then. I'll say nothing. If I, I don't know if I've missed out on something happening earlier on when my computer died. I'll shut up in that case. Uh, no, um, yeah, the, um, there is just something like tweeted out today, and it's just uh, we're running a promotion with Fight TV again. And so there's the new John Moxie film coming out, uh, Cage uh, Cage Fighter, this Saturday. So if Get you go in. on Apple. Um, on, on Twitter, um, there's a code there. So if you retweet the um, retweet that tweet, uh, follow Grapple Up, follow Fight TV, you could win a win a code there to to watch that for free. Uh, alternatively, if you just end up buying it, if you're planning on watching it, there's a link there as well on grappleapp.com forward slash support. So if you do that, we get a little kickback from Fight TV. Obviously, put a lot of work into the app and it's free. So um, yeah, every little helps and all that kind of thing. So if you do, uh, you are planning on watching it, please uh, please visit that link on the website and, and buy it through that route. And then we'll be doing the same with a double or nothing later in this month as well with the uh, with a free code for people to watch. And then obviously, uh, doing that promotional link as well so yeah any support that you can give us would be massively appreciated definitely yeah but uh, support gareth with all the, uh, the hard work he does and all the late nights he spends watching wwf pay-per-view wwe pay-per-views it's wwf it'd be good mm. uh, wwe <laughs> pay-per-views and all the other database entry you do yeah i don't know how you keep up with the amount of promotions on grapple right now uh, and we were joking last week when we about like no matter how many you're at someone will go can you put those retro impact pay-per-views on <laughs> so there's always someone in there can't please everyone that, that was it it was like it's like Currently, obviously, so there's not much going on in the world. So I was like, oh, great. I don't have to be, like, stressing every single day, like, oh, someone's run a show in Japan in front of 100 people that I need to quickly throw up there for three people to like or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I thought, let's let's uh, let's fill the gaps. Let's get back, put a bit more classic ROH on there, fill in, put ECW on the app, fill in uh, WCW pay-per-views right through. So there's a lot more uh, historic stuff on there. And luckily, um, it looks like people have been going back and, I think when you look on the timeline now, you'll randomly get some like 93 ECW show being rated next to some classic ROH show next to some DDT show from last week and things like that. So it's great to see everybody using the, uh, using it for the full, full variety. What's this John Moxley film called again, Gareth? Oh, Cage Fighter. Okay. It's called Cage Fighter. Um, Sounds like you're quite excited for this, JP. I've seen adverts and stuff because I follow like, I mean, and stuff on like Instagram and the rest of it. I'm intrigued by it, but it says a lot about the kind of state of the fucking world, really. It sounds like it'll be... I'll probably watch it, and maybe we could talk about it on here. I enjoyed Warrior. He's very keen on it. He's done a lot of press and publicity for it. Warrior's got Nick Nolte. It's a great film. I think it's a criminally underrated film. It is a good film. I like Joel Edgerton. I think he's a great actor. He's a really good writer as well. But this hasn't got Nick Nolte. That's the point I'm trying to make here. (laughs) Agreed. But I'll still give it a go. 
or think, Kurt Angle or Bobby Lashley, to my knowledge. I Aren't think they it's, got, um, it's got Christian in it. Oh, well, it's got Christian. There you go. There there you go. <laughs> what a replacement for Nick Nolte is, you know. Great, flawed Hollywood actor. Kate oh, Fear, 48 hours. This cast, Q&A. mate. Christian. It's got John Moss. John Moss. Chuck Liddell. Yeah. Yeah. G- on the poster, Gina Gershon. Um, Luke Rockhold's in it as well. Um, not that excited by that one, obviously. But I've always thought he'd be a good heel. He always looked like a dickhead. Um, obviously, I wouldn't say that to his face. He's hard as fuck. Who else is in this? Uh, can't tell it. I'm looking for other wrestling people. Just a series of other actors on here at this point. Yeah, not that uh, interesting. I'll go in, though, for that. Go on. But if you do it. watch it, watch it through the grappling, uh, as Gareth said. Yeah. Uh, which you can find on the grappleapp.com or through the grapple Twitter as well. We'll be uh, we'll continue plugging that next week. Um, I was going to say as well as, as a plug as well. Uh, if anyone missed it, I did the uh, the debut match of the month uh, podcast with Jamesy last week. Uh, just to plug that, I guess. Uh, I don't know if you guys any of the uh, controversial take on it. The three new Japan matches they were the uh, they dominated the uh, the top fives really. Okada, Naito, Okada, Ibushi, and Osprey Hiromu from Wrestle Kingdom. I went Osprey Hiromu for my top match. James, you went. Um, and Naito Okada, uh, he really wasn't a fan of uh, Okada Ibushi, but he did uh, sneak it in as five. If you, if you were given those three choices, what would your answer be? What do you reckon? Top match for January? I know it's without rewatching. I any of those three in any order? It was they were all fucking order. great. Yeah, <laughs> having not gone back and seen them on the rewatch like you have, I think instinctively Osprey Hiromu because it seems very excited. But I remember being drawn in by the story of Naito over Okada and. Also, as well, being pleasantly surprised by how by how good it was on the second night, given night O J White. He saved himself against Jay White. Look, yeah. if there's one great thing to come out of this global pandemic and no resting, it's I haven't had to watch a Jay White match since <laughs> January fifth this year. And how much healthier are those boys going to be? Is me? Yeah, come back like <laughs> a fucking savages. Those boys doing forty five minute sprints and a lot. It'd be great. Uh. Well, I was going to say, yeah, if you do, if you do want to hear like me and James, you pick apart those matches. That's on that mm. on that show, and yeah, you know, from a grapple point of view, guy, I think that the three of the highest rated matches on grapple, what a thousand rate, ratings a piece on them, and they're all four point eight. I think it's four point eight three. I think is what James quoted on the show. Nothing to pick between the three of them really as matches, but like, yeah, they're definitely uh, them and uh, some of the other hidden gems we mentioned on the podcast to check out as well. Yeah, and I, th- I think obviously that's dominated the January one, but when you start to look into February and you start to look what's there for March and things like that, that'll be coming up on the upcoming shows. There's a lot more variety there with not mm. just like across like AEW and things like that, but you're starting to look at things like uh, WXW as well coming through there, RevPro coming in there as well. So there's a lot more variety that, that, that comes through there and some of the, um, some of the stardom stuff as well that's uh, coming through from, from uh, Japan as well. So there's, um, there's probably a bit more of a varied list there that I think when people listening to the February and March editions, there's, there's probably is going to be the more little hidden gems there that you maybe haven't seen that you can can go and check out and i'm sure james you'll go to a lot of detail on on breaking those down definitely yeah and he's the man to do it and yeah jp you'll be on the next one doing the february episodes and i can't wait because joe's other 0.25 star matches are on the list of contenders for february as well a certain death match from gcw so (laughs) to you and uh, jamesy breaking that one down again just for joe's benefit that should be uh, I won't listen, listen, mate. Uh, <laughs> I never want to hear about that match ever again. Thank you. Oh, uh, you'll, be, you'll be pleased to know, Joe, it's not in my top 10 of the month for that. 
Although going through the list for February, I already did it, and I did it immediately after listening to your show, because I thought, oh, fuck me, I need to prep this. And mm. I was looking through it, and I was like, actually, there's some great matches in there. you got Zach Ospreay to twice, mm. um, one in Japan, and then the high-stakes match. You've got the tag match from AEW. Like Gareth said on there as well, there's some other matches that I haven't seen. The Stardom match, the Dragon Gate match that was in the top tens as well. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. And yeah, just going to space it out a bit for these. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Look forward to listening to that episode and uh, what more James he brings. But again, check that out on our feed. Check our Canadian Stampede review from this weekend. And yeah, other than that, follow JP on Twitter at JPJP. Follow Gareth at Grapple Gareth as well as the at Grapple app account too. Download Grapple, get your ratings in. And yeah, we'll be back next week. With more of the same, we'll find something to talk about, lads, uh, next week. A few documentaries in the pipeline and, uh, and a few other things like that. But, yeah, until then, we'll see you again soon. Bye. See ya. Stay alert. <laughs> <laughs>